Okay, episode 67, and this is the beginning of year two. Ah, picked up for another season. Who picked it up, though? What what network executive picked this thing up? Uh, The Ring Doorbell Network, I think it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only one that called. The Ring Doorbell Network. (laughs) You know what that is? The little camera? Yes, I see the commercials all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's episode 67, and since the Tuesday was our annual or was our first year anniversary or my first year anniversary, this is the start of year two. So we made it to a second year yep. on the Mitch Unfiltered podcast. Who How was, about that? Who was the blonde guy on Happy Days who would come on and ruin shows? He was like known for... He, he was, oh, well, it's killing me. His Not name. one of the main characters. No, that's my point. He came on like after it was successful. Yeah, and then I they, don't know. Maybe I stopped watching it by then. Oh, uh, he was on all kinds. Anyway, he's he's known for being the guy. He, they, <laughs> they add him to shows and then they get canceled. Are you that so guy? I'm wondering. <laughs> I, hope I'm not, I hope I'm not that guy. We got to get his name. You talk, I'll find it. It's killing right, me. Episode 67 is the start of the second year. I did want to mention that Monday night we have had a couple of cancellations, so I've got a handful of spots. If you'd like to join us, you're going to be there, right? I'm going. I'm in. I'm thinking about maybe taking a half day of work because there is a home game with the traffic, and I might Uber in so I can really get after it and have some fun. So, no, I'm in. I can't Monday wait. night football, Vikings-Seahawks, a huge game. If you're not going to the game and you want to be with us at Daniel's Broiler downtown for our second Monday night football viewing party at Daniel's, we do have about six – I think about six. I haven't looked lately, but I think we have about six spots left from cancellations. We've got six big screens and food all night and adult beverages that'll be served. If you want one of those last remaining spots and be with us, it's a very, I I don't, I I do want to, you said, you said earlier that I, I don't think people quite understand what kind of a viewing party this is. They think Daniel's broiler. They think, you know, high end. This is not going to get loud. Oh no, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> no. I saw the video, so I know. But is, I don't think everybody's seen the video. I don't think so, yeah. It got really, it gets really that. We have our own kind of private lounge area away from the rest of the restaurant. Everybody wears their Seahawks attire. Everybody goes crazy. It gets, it got crazy in there for the 49ers yeah. game. It was, it was so much fun and so loud. We were shaking the building. I mean, people downstairs, there's an opening down to the first floor where people check in in the lobby. Yeah. And they're looking up at us like, what the hell is going on, <laughs> honey? Up there? We got the wrong place. This is a, <laughs> this is a sports bar. We got to get out of so here. So I don't want people to think that this is like everybody's sitting in a library watching a Seahawks game. Yeah. No, you're not going to get glares from the manager. No. He's encouraging it. No, if anything, it's right? good. We <laughs> want loud, 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 yeah. loud, and Seahawks attire. Uh, just uh, send me an email if you'd like one of those last uh, six spots. Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and you can be with us on Monday night. What what can I expect from you? Uh, what kind of? Because I'm a little <sighs> uneasy. With the whole, I mean, you got a diet going. Oh, Are you going to have food a Food-wise, I'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, but I, th- I think I might Uber in, actually, and just kind of really get after it. That That's my plan. I mean, okay. my, my, my Forza RC season's over. It's on now. It's done. It's like the holidays are here. They got a hotel. It's a big hotel. It's in a big hotel. That brand, brand came hotel. up as well. I was thinking about maybe getting a room. Bring the whole family. That's right. <laughs> Bring the whole family. Now, she can't. The, the, we, we, we actually got requests whether kids could come to the party. They can't come to the party, unfortunately, because it's in a lounge area. Okay. okay. There's a big bar there, so yeah. she can't come. The daughter can't come. All right. Well, she'll go to a Zeke's one. or We'll, we'll do another one where she can come. Anyway, Monday night, 5-15, going to be great. Vikings and can't Seahawks. Wait. Seahawks are 9 and freaking 2. I mean, that win against the Vikings, if they get it, they're going to be 10 and 2. How do you not want to go it, support it, that? It, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be a tough game. They're coming <sighs> off a bye. It's going to be a tough game. It's, but we it, have plenty of time yeah, to talk we'll about talk that. We'll talk about that. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, MitchUnfiltered.com for episode 67, and everybody – 
Everybody who wants any kind of Mitch Unfiltered, it's uh, available wherever podcasts are. Go ahead and rate us, subscribe, do your thing. If you're a proud Android device user like me, Podcast Addict as well. If you uh, don't think that one Mitch Unfiltered episode a week on Mondays is enough, we've got tons of extra content. We do a full second show. We'll have to discuss Thanksgiving week. This week, what we're going to do on Thanksgiving week. But we do a full second show typically, and then there's bonus shows, fantasy football. Then you got the Mr. Postseason. You got your tail of the tape. You got your gambling site. So there's a lot more content. If you want more than what you're getting on Mondays, that costs $5 a month. You go to MitchUnfiltered.com and just click on Become a Patron. All right? Let's do it. Guests on episode 67. I can guess one. Which one do you think? Guessing we're going to have Brady Henderson on. Brady Henderson, who was in Philadelphia. (laughs) Oh, yeah. For what I call the most lopsided 17 to 9 game I've ever seen in my life watching football. I was keeping an eye on it because the Forza Racing Championship kicked off at 10 a.m. It takes priority. Oh, of course it does. So I was keeping an eye, and uh, the word that comes to mind is just kind of sloppy. I saw a lot of mistakes. Am I seeing that right when I was watching it? They ju- yeah, there was tons and tons of penalties, okay. dropped balls, fumbles, miscommunications on handoffs. Is it going to be a handoff? Is it not? On both sides? Yeah, but the de- you got the sense, and maybe this is biased, you got the sense, and we'll get there, um, that the Seahawks were just a dominant defensive football team. Yeah. The Eagles had very little. They lost all of their – their top four wide receivers, I think, were all out of the game. So they had no, yeah. they had no wide receivers left. And the Seahawks kind of dominated any – Again, this is biased, but it seemed to me like the Eagles' mistake, sloppiness, was forced okay. by the Seahawks. But the Seahawks' mistakes, 12 penalties. Dropping the ball. Dropping the yeah. ball. Guys open. Even Russell Wilson, the MVP, has a guy 10 yards down. <laughs> Have you seen the highlight of that play? Jacob Hollister is standing wide. There isn't anybody within within 12 yards of him. Yeah. And it's just a little 10-yard throw, and Russell Wilson fires it. Eight feet over his head. Carson Wentz is rubbing off on him or something? I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> let's get him out of there. Honest to God, you would have made that throw easy. <laughs> of course. It would be a, if, if Hot Shot Scott <laughs> yeah. were throwing that ball, yeah. it would have been a touchdown. My first NFL touchdown it would have been, been today. Your, that's right. Oh, wow. You would have made a throw that the MVP of the NFL did not make. So there were just – it just felt more like a 30 to – like a 27 to 9 game. The fact that they had to sweat that out a little bit was just ridiculous. But – uh, Brady Henderson from Philadelphia was there. Uh, Rick Neuheisel on the college football playoff picture and the disaster that is the Washington Huskies 2019 football season. Do we need to talk about that? I'm so mad at myself. I stayed up because it was on ESPN so I could watch it in yeah. Burbank. And yeah. I was like, all right, I got to watch the end of this. Yeah. And I just killed like an hour of extra sleep. I had like a 5.30 call time. So I'm so mad that not only they lost, but then I lost out on an hour of sleep too. How about the Apple Cup, that. six and five Ugh. versus six and five? Mm-hmm. Have you ever been less inspired to watch, less excited yeah. in the last, let's say, ten years anyway, or la- in the Chris Peterson era? Have you era? Have you been less excited for an Apple Cup than this week, six and five versus six and five? The State of Washington Championship is that the shirt New Heisel's trying to push I, now? I, I, I mean, Jesus, <laughs> that's all we have left, right? Well, the one guy from Washington State, he threw for 606 yards on Saturday That's against Oregon system. State. I mean, that Silly. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Goodman will be with us on episode 67, one of the preeminent college basketball writers and insiders. And Dan Catchpole, I'm wandering again. I'm going away from sports. Have you been following the Boeing 737 grounding and controversy yeah. and software issue in the cockpit and what happened to those two flights, those two international flights that went down with 350 people that died. Have you been following a little bit of that? All I know is that the 737s were grounded, and I didn't, I don't, I didn't really dig into why. 
Man, I don't know There's if they're back There's a software yet. issue okay. that is trying to be obviously remedied right now. The question is, should they pull the whole system out or should they modify it? Uh, you know, executives in Canada are now voicing their opinion. Just, it's a, it's a very, it, it, I think it's a very interesting story. I don't know much about it, yeah. but I thought it was interesting enough to kind of wander off of sports, and we'll do it. I once heard an old pilot say that pilots nowadays can fly planes because of the software, but if the software goes down, they don't necessarily have the instincts like, say, a guy who was in the military who flew planes. Does that make any sense to you? That they, they, they solely depend on the software. Well, it makes sense. And I don't can, know if it's true or not. But I don't know if it's sense. true either. Yeah. But if, if, God forbid, something goes well, wrong with the software, they don't have the, well, the, the freestyle small, skills. Well, a small, what you're going to hear during this segment is there's a small part of this controversy is were the pilots trained well enough for the software? Oh, boy. And did they need more training? And then the other part to it that I find interesting is just a, a someone who flies, I'd like to get your opinion on it, is do you ever check ever when you book a flight for yourself on all these flights down to Burbank or wherever you go with your family, do you ever look at, okay, what's the, what's the plane I'm getting myself into? Not once. Never once. If I was flying first class, I may because some first classes are better on different airlines, different yeah. planes. What, but what if I but told no. you that there's a huge controversy and two planes have gone down to the 737 model and now they're back up, let's say when they get recertified and they go back up, yeah. there's going to be pe- – I, I would think there are people that are going to see when they book their flight, oh, that's the 737 – no, I'm not, I'm not going on that flight. Yeah, you're probably right, but I know me and I'll go, oh, $100 cheaper? Yeah, I'll <laughs> take my chances. <laughs> I mean, I no, I don't think I will ever do uh, it. I mean, you think about how many planes take off and land every single day. It's shocking that there aren't more. I mean, it's, it feels pretty safe. It is. It's it's the most safe. Uh, it's safer now than it ever has been before. Yeah. But I, I fi- you'll find. I think you'll find the segment yeah, if you, if, you, if you can. You hold out to that segment. If people hold out to that segment, I think you'll find the the Boeing controversy fairly interesting. So four guests. We'll start it off with a little a little Seahawks chatter. We'll do some four guests, and then we'll come back for the other stuff segment, which we like. Okay. Before you go, Ted yeah. McGinley. You know the name Ted. Yes, of course I do. Okay. So he was the one added to Happy Days, and it kind of killed the show. And I remember some, Ted McGinley. Yeah, some, he was Revenge of the Nerds, I think, too, if I'm not mistaken. He wasn't. He wasn't the guy in the. No, I can picture Ted McGinley. Yeah, blonde, the, really handsome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, so, I know exactly. I hope I'm not Ted McGinley. It was a long way to go well, for that. You're, <laughs> you're certainly not blonde, and you're definitely not handsome. <laughs> episode 67, okay? Yeah, let's do it. Hot Shot Episode 67 and all the shows of Mitch Unfiltered would not be possible without our partners. I call them partners. They're more than sponsors. Daniels Broiler, you know by now, the latest addition to the Daniels family of world-class steakhouses is that downtown location in the new Hyatt Regency right near the Paramount Theater. Monday night football. This coming Monday, another viewing party. The Vikings and the Seahawks because for special occasions, there's nothing that beats Daniels Broiler world-class steakhouses. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage in the last few weeks, I've heard from a handful of listeners that they've spent the time with Jordan Flowers and the Guild Mortgage team. Even at the Monday Night Football viewing party against the 49ers, a couple of different patrons approached me to tell me how easy and profitable the refinance process is and was with Jordan. 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and the originator of Evervest. 
Investment.com. That's the new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of our evergreen clients have, but still want to grow our money for retirement or some other reason. Check them out. Evervestment.com. E-V-E-R. Vestment.com. Zeke's Pizza now with a brand spanking new location. It's the 17th one in Woodenville. Whether it's at home with Zeke's door-to-door delivery or at one of their 17 locations, sports, pizza, craft beer, a true blue Northwest company, an underrated spot to regularly watch the Seahawks or the Huskies or the Cougars or anyone else. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. It's time for an exciting episode 67, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. If this guy is a good guy and philanthropic and does other things that makes him a nice guy, those things ought to be considered. I have a a real difficulty saying that we're going to write Miles Garrett off as a bad human being because he snapped on a football field where we're asking him to play to, to ride the fine line of emotion and not go over. That's all I'm saying. Unfiltered. I think Charles Barkley has like literally picked up the line and moved it. I think of all people that are on television, radio in the United States, maybe outside of the guy who is the leader of the free world, I think he gets away with more. He can say more things that other people can't say for some reason than any other person that's a talking head on TV. Mitch is unfiltered. Here we are together again, episode 67. This is a uh, I'm just going to skip right over. There's not a there's not a local athlete that ever wore 67 that you would ever even remember. And the national people that wore 67, we're just going to name it after an old Dolphin, a Hall of Fame Dolphin from that 72 team. I, I always know that the 72 team's there to catch me. If we ever get to a number there's where someone. there's nobody else, there's always somebody from the 72 Dolphins. So I we'll do that later. can't wait to get out of the 60s. I'm over it. But then we get into the 70s. Is that going to be much better? Yeah, you have like defensive linemen. Yeah, you know, like yes. Dexter Manley a or something. Bit. Oh, <laughs> Dexter Manley. Was he 71? Yeah, he was in a uh, yeah, he he was might have been 70, yeah. 72, I think. Oh, maybe you're right. Okay. But you know, like. I think he was 72. Good defensive linemen. Ed Tutal Jones. Oh, yeah. 72. He was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the 70s will be It'll be, be fun. The 60s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Seahawks 17, Eagles 9. Now, you were in Burbank, California. Your Seahawks, your beloved Seahawks, 9-2 and two on the football season. And check this out. I know you know it, but I'm going to say it because it sounds so good. I know what you're going to say. 6-0 awesome. and o on the road. Love it. And by the way, 10 a.m. game, can we be done with that? So, can we stop? I think we've been done with that for okay, a long good, time. Okay, good, good. I just want to make sure. But please, I, I'm just going I'm, I'm to warn you right now. Do not tweet. I have not blocked anybody in the last like couple of years. <laughs> yeah. not, I don't think I've blocked. I, I unblocked. I had I, like thousands of people blocked yeah. over my 20 years or however many years. And I unblocked them all. I found <laughs> out I unblocked all every last one of them. You even unblocked the, the guy whose name is Levy Blocked Me. That's right. <laughs> you even unblocked <laughs> that guy. <laughs> so, yes, you have been doing that. I, 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 I unblocked everybody. If you want to know. What what could get you blocked? There's very little that could get you blocked right now, but here's what could get you blocked. If you are the dude that writes me a tweet that says, since we're 6-0 and on the road, should we be rooting to be a wild card team and a team that goes on the road in the playoffs? You know, we've lost a lot of games at home. Why should we want them to play home for the for the playoffs? A lot of games? Don't d- don't be that guy, okay? <laughs> I know I'm going to get that guy. Don't be that guy. That would get you blocked on Twitter. It's nice to know that it's there. You know, that they can play on the road. But, no, let's not root for that to happen. 
Let's root for a game in Seattle. I think it's better for everybody. Scott, it was an unbelievable game to watch from the standpoint that they just came out and defensively looked like they did in San Francisco on that Monday night without Jadavion Clowney. Well, without Clowney. Without, and then Jaron Reed gets hurt, which is a, a sad thing, but we hope he's not too seriously hurt. We'll have to wait during the week and we'll ask Brady about it. But no Jadavion Clowney, and yet consistent pass pressure on Carson Wentz. They were hitting them all. I mean, they only ended up registering three sacks. They got a couple sacks that got turned over by penalties. We'll get okay. to penalties in a second. But there was just constant harassment of Carson Wentz. The front four played great, all of them. Ziggy Ansah was in the backfield oh, so doing things that he did. In Detroit. I mean, it was just Shaquem Griffin has a new lease on life. He's a new pass rusher for the Seattle. He's in there <laughs> knocking people over. He's picking up footballs. Well, I, I was going to ask you. I was sort of keeping an eye on it. Did I see Shaquem Griffin pick up a ball yes. and run with it with one hand? Yes. Wow. Yes. Amazing. He, he picked up the ball like so naturally like yeah. it was nothing. I, I couldn't tell who it was. I'm not used to it seeing him Shaquem, out yeah. there. As it turns out, I don't think God. it mattered. Because I think was what there happened, a penalty or something? no, I think his knee was down. I think the I think oh, uh, gotcha. Quentin, Quentin Jefferson was it Quentin Jefferson? Quentin, I, it may have been Quentin Jefferson who was running with the ball. I'm trying to remember who was running with the ball. Nonetheless, pretty impressive. Pick up with one hand. This was just another flat out ass whooping defensive performance. And you and I have been asking on this podcast, as, as I'm sure everybody's been writing and doing on radio and TV, was the 49ers game an aberration? Was that just an exception to the rule? Is the true defense and the true pass pressure what we saw the first eight games or was it or the first nine games or was it the tenth game against San Francisco? Yeah. And if you're going to judge and you're going to come to a conclusion, I'm not ready to come to a conclusion just yet because I'm Mr. Skeptic Cynic. It's not a very big sample size. Either. Not yet. Two games. But if you want to come to a conclusion and you're going to conclude based on the Philadelphia Eagles game, then your conclusion is it's like a whole new defense. It's like a whole new it's like like a new lease on life. It's unbelievable. Now, why am I skeptic? Why am I cynic? Because of what you said. A, it's not a big enough sample size, two games. And B, I mean, let's face it, the Eagles were without all of their wide receivers yeah. and their right tackle. Right. The 49ers were without George Kittle and some other guys and guys went out Thank hurt. Thank God, by the way. Emmanuel Sanders went out hurt in the middle. So I, I think there's re I, I think it's a reasonable skepticism. Does that make sense? I yeah. think there's a reason I, I want to see it. Now, now, I am ready. I will be ready one week from now <laughs> to declare this a true metamorphosis, you know. Bill Bixby turning into Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> Timely reference okay. right next uh, to the guy I, I talked about I, earlier. I will be ready. <laughs> I truly will be ready to announce, to, to sign off on the, the metamorphosis. If we're talking about a, a performance like they had in Philadelphia and San Francisco on Monday night when we're at Daniels mm -hmm. against a Vikings team with two great receivers, a great tight end, a quarterback who's having almost as good a year, MVP year, as Russell Wilson, one of the best running backs in the game. I mean, this is a high-powered, multi-dimensional offense. If the Seahawks defense plays like they did against the Eagles and the 49ers, and they put pressure and they're knocking Cousins down and doing all that, I'm in. I'm I'm totally sold. At that point, I'm in. Okay, I'm in. If they do it against the Vikings, I'm in. They're officially a great defense I'm this in. year. I'm in. Now the question is, and maybe Brady will talk about well, it. No, I don't say that they're a great defense. I would say if they do it against the Vikings. Yeah. I I sign off or I I'm in on the whole it's 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 a change deal. Okay. They've changed, they've turned the corner and they've now hit their stride and they're not what they were this first 7 or 8 or 9 games of the season. That's what that's what I'm in for. 
if we were, they if they do it against the Vikings. But we were trying to figure out what would it take to get this defense going because we're just every week we'd name the names. We got Clowney. What do you think happened? I mean, is there is there a reason for it, or is it just matchups against those teams? I guess we'll find out against the Vikings, right? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Like, what what could possibly have changed? There might be Scheme a little bit. There might be individual answers. I know this is kind of a cop out answer to your yeah. question, but there might be different answers for each individual. Like, you're going to hear Brady Henderson today, or on episode sixty seven, you're going to hear Brady Henderson say that Ziggy Ansah just has not gotten his strength back from missing all that time with all the surgeries. Oh, okay. And that it took him, and that Pete Carroll has been saying over and over again, it's just he's got, he lost a lot of weight. He hasn't gotten that weight back. He did look thin just took, to me. Okay, so I think that that's the answer for Ziggy. Okay. That's not the And then Jaron Reed, you might get an answer of, well, he missed six the first six weeks of the season, yeah. and you don't come back in week seven and eight and be like you were in your Pro Bowl form a year ago. So I think there's pro, and there's the, the Quandre – Diggs. Diggs edition, yeah. I yeah. think, has been a – so I think there's, there's there's lots of little answers that when you put them all together, mm -hmm. they mean something. I, I didn't think they were capable of the performance they had against Philadelphia without Jadavion Clowney. Me either. I was very worried when I saw that. It was incredible. Did we know he was hurt, or was yeah. that kind of a surprise? Yeah, we knew he was hurt. Well, as the week went on, we knew he wasn't practicing. Okay. It was going to be a game-time decision, then he was going to see a specialist and the whole thing. Um We'll find out. I think I think he's good to go against the Vikings on Monday night. I think. Oof, that'd be nice. I think he's good to go. Anyway, Ziggy played great. Shaquem Griffin played great. Quentin Jefferson played great. Um, you know, Bobby Wagner played great. I mean, it's just it was just a, an overall thorough performance by the defense. Very, very impressed. Now, the game was close because – here we go with the DK Metcalf hands. Have you seen? There's there's constant kind of chatter and I debate. I have a guy on Twitter who won't stop. He hits well, you. Then he's refueled. Oh, after Sunday he's refueled because I, I he, wish he I had dropped, his tweet here. He dropped two and a half. Got he dropped two and a half balls. One was a was a touchdown. Uh, all I saw was a tweet during the show today that said, uh, "I rest my case." And I was like, what's he talking about? I rest my case. Yeah. And then I scrolled up, and it was DK Metcalf talk. Yeah. You know, but if you go back, honestly, and I'm not comparing him to Jerry Rice, but Jerry Rice had drop issues his rookie year. I, I could see it happening. Yeah. He, so I'm not ready to give up on the guy is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, the other part of it is I'll give you my, my whole Chris Carson spiel. Like Chris Carson spiel B. Remember what I used to say yep. about Chris? When we used to ask about Chris Carson's fumbles and people would say, well, start putting Rashad Penny in. And Penny played great, by the way. Yeah. We got to talk about that. Wrong data for that argument. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, my, my, my question back to, to all the people that would say, well, is it time to put Chris Carson on the sidelines with all the fumbles? I'll ask a similar question about DK Metcalf. Okay, maybe his hands aren't great right now. Maybe they'll never be great. But is the total picture worthy of him being in the lineup? Right. Do you stop throwing to him? Why would you? Of course I mean, not. Yeah. Even with the bad hands, if, if he does have bad hands, and I don't think he does have bad hands. I agree. Even with him fighting it a little bit, isn't he net, net, net a positive? Yep. Who, who else would you rather on the field at that particular point? I if, mean, he's he's still coming up with plays. He's still doing things to help the team, yeah. even within, within the drop. So, yeah, I get the fact that people are questioning his hands, but you can't question whether he's been a net, net positive impact on this offense. This is all you have to know about it is that he had the most targets today, or on Sunday. He had the most targets. So I sort of default to trusting the guy throwing it. I feel like he knows what he's doing. If he still trusts him and believes in him, yeah. and I, w I wish I had the stats in front of me to see 
how many times he's been the most targeted receiver every week because Russell does not stop throwing to him. He keeps going at him. Well, he, he knows I would think that Tyler play. Lockett's a pretty – Yeah, he might prob- be up there. Probably the top target but what if Lock- most of the time. What if Metcalf's the second? I mean, that's you know uh, shows course, you that Russell course, loves he, him. And I'm saying he's making plays. Right. He's making – he made some plays on Sunday against the Eagles. But he did, dro- he, he did drop a ball that was a touchdown that would have given them the, the cushion and maybe allowed them to run away from it. But at the same time, there were 12 penalties, which was ridiculous. Oh, I'm glad I didn't there see There was the, the Russell Wilson throw right over the guy's head that you could have made. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were a lot. There was, a, there was a, a play in the second half after the Seahawks had taken the lead and taken control of the game where, where Russell Wilson went to hand the ball off to Chris Carson. Clearly, Chris Carson thought it was a play action, that he was going to fake it and then throw, but he tried to hand it off, and the ball went uh, went on the ground. Okay. It was it was recovered by the, by the Eagles. So there were tons and tons of opportunities for the Seahawks to make this game a laugher. This game should have been a laugher. And by the way, the last touchdown for the Eagles came with like 20 seconds left, right? That's right. It was a, it was a so, nothing, yeah. yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a throwaway. They got all their stats. They got all their offensive stats in the last couple of two, three minutes when it didn't matter at all. So Rashad Penny. Let me talk about Rashad Penny. The game of his life. Fourteen carries, one hundred and twenty-nine yards against a really good defensive team against the run, and a fifty-eight yarder. Say it now That's for great. Taco Tuesday. Oh yeah, Taco Tuesday. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> fifty-eight yards, bouncing off of people. Some guy coming down at the end, trying to knock him off yep. his feet. He just, just bouncing. That guy didn't even try to tackle him, by the way. Guy tried to yeah. shoulder him down, and he goes into the end zone. And we're all going to be getting our free tacos from Taco Time Northwest on Tuesday, except for you, who continues to refuse to participate. Well, I don't part. I mean, I don't refuse to participate in Taco Time in general. We love Taco Time, but I just can't always get out of the office. Although the season can't is over, can't always get out of the office. Yeah, I mean, you know, I gotta. How about I've worked to do? How about I'm a busy, once? Busy fella, busy, busy guy. Fella. How'd you like the show this weekend, the Forza Racing Championship? Did you support? Again, us? I, I. By the I, way, I, all you gotta I, do is turn it on and leave, and we get credit for your view. I mean, well, oh, you didn't tell me that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll put it on all the. You computers. never watched the streaming show before? Well, I know. I know that I want the, the people to do the same thing on our podcast. Just click it. Just click play and listen to ten seconds of it, and you, we get credit. Right. Yeah. There is a line in Dumb and Dumber. I don't know if you've seen that movie where he says, "Just when I think you can't get any dumber, you go and totally redeem yourself." And that's how I feel about Rashad Penny. Just when I was done with him, like, what are we doing? He doesn't really contribute, and then he does this. It's like I, I see why Pete Carroll loves him because you saw the upside. Right, yeah. he you had see a, why he's still hanging around. He had a great day. He wow, did, he, he did looked put, good. He put the ball on the turf a little bit. He did put the ball on the turf a little bit. But most importantly, he got into the end zone. And now, at all Taco Time locations on Tuesday, <laughs> yes, at all Taco Time, and I will be there. And I will tell you, order ahead because it's going to be busy on Tuesday. Everybody and their brother is going to want their taco. Yep. Thanks to Rashad Penny, we'll all be eating free tacos at Taco Time Northwest. So. Less than a penny that taco costs. That's right. Less than less a penny. than his name. Yep. Download the Taco Time app and do it for yourself. Jaron Reed, walking boot sprained his ankle a little bit. According to Pete Carroll, that's the official diagnosis. What, you need a walking boot for a sprained ankle? He sprained his ankle a little bit. Okay. It's a little bit of a sprain. That's what he says. We need him back up for the Vikings game. So there's a chance he'll be back. There's nothing broken or torn or anything. A walking boot sounds serious to me, but... I'm not a board-certified physician, so what do I, I know? I think that that's a precautionary me- that's I don't. It? I don't okay. know. No, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's serious. Yeah. Maybe he won't play. Maybe he will play. They need him against Dalvin Cook. <sighs> And that Minnesota Vikings run attack, you know, they can they can do a lot of damage with you uh, on offense. Uh, one quarterback in NFL history 
has begun his career with eight straight winning seasons. That being the ninth win of the season means that the Seahawks can do no worse than nine and seven, which means Russell Wilson becomes the first quarterback in NFL history in his first eight seasons to have eight consecutive winning records. Kind of surprised by that. You think there should be somebody else that have done it? Yeah. First eight? Quarterback could be impactful. Well, Marino like probably did 15 or... in a row. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, really, though, Marino, I mean, they were good his first, uh, yeah, his first year, 83, they were good. That's weird that he didn't have eight in a row. Anyway, because he didn't start the first, maybe because he didn't start the first game out of the gate. Yeah, didn't he like, not start the first six or something? No, it was earlier than that. Second or third, okay. second or third game. He came in. He came in on a Monday. I remember when he came in. I, I can Man. remember vividly when he came into the game for the first time. It was a Monday night game, I believe, against the Oakland Raiders, and they were way behind, and they were getting crappy performance from whoever the quarterback, probably David Woodley. Woodley? Woodley or somebody. Or Craig Morton? No. no. no okay. Not Craig that Morton. That was a Bronco. And they came, and he came in, and the, they just put him in. Shula put him in in the fourth quarter, and he took him right down the field. They didn't win. They took him down twice, and he started the next week at wow. home. Started the next week at home, and he never relinquished the – that was it. That was it. But I don't know. But Russell Wilson's the only guy. Eight wow. straight winning seasons. Impressive. Congratulations. Yeah, that's and, really cool. And I have to – before we get to the guests, I have to say just one one or two other things. Number one, number one, um, you didn't see it, but one of the most infuriating things about the game on Sunday was – did you happen to see my Twitter? The Philadelphia Eagles for the entire first half were lining up offsides. It was, it was obvious to the whole world that was watching, and it was one guy in particular at the end. He's so far into the neutral zone, across the blue line with his head across the gu- – you didn't see those pictures? No. Oh, I got to show you those pictures. All this right. is going to be terrible for podcasts. I got I to gotta, <laughs> I gotta find a – I'm going to show you a picture. Like while we're recording, I'm going to show you a picture. Like, like Michael Bennett bad, like egregious lining. Like, well, you, you tell me. Okay. You, you tell me whether this is bad. And I, I'll show you two different plays, but just know that these two plays represent every play. He was literally – God. Lining up offsides every single play, and I, and they wouldn't call it. They never called one infraction. In fact, at one point, the Seahawks had ten penalties, and the Eagles had zero in the third that quarter. Sounds about it was right. 10, it was yeah. ten to zero. Now the Eagles did pick up a few penalties. Uh, here you go. I mean, are you trying to get me fired up about the refs again? They, they can't do it anymore. They just can't. They, okay. they, the game has passed them by. Okay. Can you see the blue line? Here, take take just take a look at that. Take a, just take yeah. a look at that. Look at that guy. Clearly offsides. His yeah. head. He, but look at the guy close the bottom of the screen. He's, he's like up. worse. Well, that's the guy I'm talking oh, about. Yeah, the guy at the bottom of the screen. But the other they're guy, all offsides. Yeah, they're all offsides. Everyone. Here's 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 another one. Is he offsides there? Okay. Here's, here's another one. I mean, I, I could I could show you. I could take you to the recording of the game. Here's a different play. Is the guy offsides there? Oh, his head. Is almost, he's in the backfield. Yeah, it's further back than the ball. He's closer to the center. He's closer to the ball than Russell Wilson That's is, right. for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. It was happening every single play in the first quarter of that game, and they never called it. I don't understand. I just hope the Seahawks aren't in a position where the refs have to play a factor because they have to play the refs too, right? I mean, kind of, sort of. Ten I guess. penalties, and they had, and the Eagles had zero. Yeah, that sounds like they had to play the. Yeah. I mean, you tell me, were the were the penalties like what? What are they talking about? Or were yeah, they? Yeah, they're not a very. They've not been. Don't give me a hard time over that. They, they've not. They've never really been a real disciplined team under Pete Carroll. No, I, I don't disagree with that at yeah. all. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't remember all the penalties. I don't remember seeing any penalties where I said to myself, "Oh, that's a horse crap call." Okay. Now, maybe there was one. Yeah, it's actually one where. 
the announcers agreed with me. One of the announcers said, you know, that's a bad call, and Pete Carroll should be mad, and he is mad at that. But for the most part, these aren't bad calls. This is just a, a team that is not real discipline when it comes to penalties and I, clean play. It's I, just not. And it's never he's never had a team that I can remember no, a team he here. They're always one of the most penalized teams in the NFL. But there's a reason for that, I think. Because there's he doesn't care. I mean, he doesn't there's no uh nobody has to be accountable because he's like Mr. Nice friendly guy. Now when Holmgren was the coach yeah. and you had a bunch of penalties, you're gonna hear about it. Yeah. Right. He, yeah. Mike would have been yeah, in your you're face. You're much more likely to hear about it from Mike Holmgren. A little, a little more scared. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. not scared of Pete. He plays but maybe somebody, practice. But maybe somebody would say, well, that's why they're so good. Right. Well, year exactly. after year. Well, look at big picture, like the Chris yeah. Carson thing. Maybe they would Is say, it worth it? It's, it's part of, maybe somebody would say, hey, that's the cost of doing business right. with Pete Carroll. That's exactly that's right. Part of the pro- it's part of the price. I'll take it. I'll throw you a little Mr. Postseason Ooh. Scooby snack, but we'll hold okay. the big one until, until whenever we record next, the patron show. Okay. Sunday night, the 49ers just creamed the Packers. How glad are you that Kittle didn't play against the Seahawks? God, he looks good, doesn't he? He's very, well, he's, he's superhuman. Yeah. Uh, with that win, the Seahawks are still in the wild card position in the NFC because they're still, they still haven't caught the, the San Francisco 49ers. There is a reasonable scenario where on Monday night after our Daniels function, at 8.30 Monday night, December 2nd, that the Seahawks will have risen to the number one seed and home field advantage all the way through the NFL playoffs. Would you like to know that scenario? Of course I would. Well, the 49ers play in Baltimore on Sunday at 10 a.m. Okay. Okay? Could they lose that game? Sure. Okay. Could Lamar Jackson beat the 49ers? He could beat anybody, it looks like. Okay. Okay. On Thursday night, while you're eating turkey or after you finish turkey, there will be a game – that on its on the surface you'd say ah it's not going to happen. The Saints are playing the Falcons in Atlanta. What happened two weeks ago when those two teams faced off in New Orleans? Falcons got them. So could the Falcons win the game at home on Thursday night? I would say yes. They could win the game on. They'll be underdogs, but they TV. could they could win the yeah. game on Thursday. They 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 won two games in a row. They beat the they they won a couple games they weren't supposed to win. If those two things happen, and the Seattle Seahawks win on Monday Night Football, so what are those three things? Thursday night, Falcons beat the Saints in Atlanta. Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Ravens in Baltimore beat the Niners. And the Seahawks on Monday night football beat the Vikings. At 8.30 or 8.45 p.m. Monday night, yeah. the Seahawks will be 10-2, and winners of the NFC West if the season ended today, and with a better record than both New Orleans and Green Bay, they would be the number one seed in the NFC with about five or six weeks to go. As I'm walking How about that? As I'm walking sideways to my hotel room, I am gonna be celebrating like crazy <laughs> in that hotel. <laughs> That's gonna be awesome. Now, whether all those things will happen, I don't know. The Seahawks might not beat the Vikings. Yeah. The, the Niners, Falcons I might mean, not beat the Saints. The Niners, the Niners might looked. yeah, the Niners might go to, to, to Baltimore and shut Lamar Jackson down. I don't know. Three, you are three scenario. Amazing. You are three results away from the Seahawks rising from a wild card team to not only a division winner but a number one seed all the way through the playoffs. After that Bengals game, I was like, it's going to be kind of an eight and eight long season. Here you go, it could be the number one seed. Four interviews, and then you and I on the other stuff. Got the other stuff. stuff segment. Let's do it.
I say this all the time because I believe it. Daniel's Broiler is a special restaurant. One of the things I think makes Daniel's special is their belief in world-class hospitality. Of course, you expect excellent steaks and seafood at Daniel's. Of course, you expect world-class views. Of course, you expect one of the greatest wine lists you'll find in the Northwest. But if Daniel's doesn't make you feel special, then what's the point? We live in a time when hospitality is a lost art in the restaurant business, and that's a shame. When you go to Daniel's Broiler, your needs come first, and that starts with world-class hospitality. Daniel's goal is very simple, to make every guest feel like they are a part of the Daniel's family every single time that you walk through the door. How you're treated is just as important to Daniel's as the excellence of their food. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, located at South Lake Union, Leshine Marina, Bellevue Place, and the new downtown Hyatt Regency, home of this coming Monday night's viewing party against the Vikings. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Little trickery here. Wilson gets it back, looking, airing it deep, in his face. He's in trouble. Down he goes. The ball is loose, and Seattle's got the football. Penny gets through. Rashad Penny into open field. Is he going to get there? Still on his feet. Touchdown! Go back on the road again and do it uh, and play really good football across the board. I think it's uh, really worth noting how the defense played today. They had to play great all day long. Yeah, obviously, we, we took the ball away from them a ton of times. Five times, I think, today we had four sacks. The pressure was there again like last week. We all wanted to know we're going to have pressure this week, and we didn't have J.D. out there playing. Um, just thrilled for the guys up front that, that kept the heat coming and, and uh, made it a hard day for their quarterback. So uh, I don't know what it means in, in the big world of anything. We haven't done nothing yet. You know, we got a long ways to go. It's time to take a look on Episode 67 at a 9-2 and two football team. I'm going to repeat that. A 9-2 and two football team. The Seahawks are winners over the Eagles 17-9. They face the Vikings next on Monday night. And joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, courtesy of Fireside Home Solutions, is our buddy Brady Henderson. That was an interesting game. I, I, I put it in my notes, Brady. I called it the most lopsided 17-9 game in the history of the NFL. It seemed like the Seahawks should have won that game by three or four touchdowns. Yeah, it did, and Russell Wilson even made that point post game that it felt like they should have been up 21, uh, 21 to three at halftime after those two pretty big missed opportunities. There was the uh, the overthrow to Jacob Hollister in the end zone, which you just never see Russell Wilson overthrow uh, a wide open receiver like that, especially on such a short throw, just a, what should have been a gimme touchdown. And then uh, you know the drop that DK Metcalf had. Uh, on the final play of the half. And, um, you know, there was other opportunities there, you know, and they had all the, the 10 penalties or I think it was 12, 12 penalties yeah. by the end of that game. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that, look, if you're, if you're hoping for, you know, a stress-free kind of going away win, I think that you're rooting for and following the wrong team just because it's <laughs> never pretty for the Seahawks. And it really was not again uh, in that win Sunday. Did Wilson say anything about that misfire? I know that earlier in the game, Wentz had somebody out in the flat. He threw it over the guy's head and the guys on TV, the announcers were making a big deal out of the win. But 
It just it just looked like a play. I'm going to just go ahead and say it. I'm 52 years old. I think I could have made that throw. I think I could have gotten that ball to Hollister for a touchdown. Uh, I know he's the MVP and I'm not, but what, did he discuss what happened on that play? Yeah, he, he just said he overthrew it, and he, he didn't blame the wind or anything. And, and you know, certainly the wind was, was without a doubt a factor. And, you know, you saw even the, the opening kickoff uh, from Jason Myers, the yeah. returner fielded it at the 11-yard line. He was kicking into the wind. The guy returned at the 11-yard line, which you just never see. Um, and so Wilson was going with the wind on that throw to Hollister and he didn't blame the wind, you know, got to wonder if maybe it was a factor there, although that was a short enough throw to where um, it didn't seem like the wind would affect it that much. I wonder if it may have been that he was sort of in between, you know, he was kind of running, uh, kind of broke free in the flat and was running it and looked like he kind of was indecisive on whether he was going to run it in or throw it. So maybe a little bit in between there, maybe just momentum going forward, maybe a little bit, you know, the wind combination of that. But uh, you just you really never see that from Russell Wilson. All in all, it's a 17 to nine victory. It's a nine and two record. The Seahawks are exactly where they want to be still chasing the 49ers after the Niners look great on Sunday night football against the Packers. Uh, we'll talk about the defensive performance because I think that's the storyline here because I've been asking, as you probably have all week, was the Niner game an aberration? Was Or is that the new Seattle defense in terms of pass pressure and everything else? We'll get there in a moment, but I think there's two storylines, Brady, that you can help us out with that are more important than the defense, and that is the injury situation. Let's start with Jadavion Clowney. Why didn't he play two weeks later with that hip problem on, on Sunday against the Eagles and then graduate to Jaron Reed and how bad the ankle sprain was. I know he was out in a boot after the game on Sunday. Take those two things on because they need both of those guys against the high-powered Vikings offense on Monday Night Football. Yeah, the word from Pete Carroll when asked about you know, Clowney playing in that Monday night game against Minnesota was, I think his exact word was, optimistically, I think so, yeah. And so you sort of have to take that with, the, you know, the Pete Carroll grain of salt, knowing that he tends to look at those things pretty optimistically. Um, but, you know, he, he thinks that there's at least a chance there. And, uh, you know, it's a good question as to why, why they didn't do this on the bye week. And my only sense there is that, you know, because they didn't practice on the bye week, Clowney really didn't do anything. And, and maybe he didn't really realize it, unless maybe the team didn't really realize exactly how severe that was until um, you know he got out there Wednesday and they even made him available to reporters on Wednesday I believe uh, which typically they don't do with players who are dealing with injuries of you know of, of note there so that that's my only guess because it would have made sense to have you know him fly out to Philadelphia even though they were they were you know already coming there this week it would have made sense for him to have whatever he had done uh, in Philadelphia on the bye week um, so you know the, the the good news here is that it's not at least right now, it's not a surgery situation because as we've seen with guys with those injuries, and, and I'm assuming that this is actually more of a core muscle injury as opposed to what we think of as a hip injury. Remember, they've, they've referred to core muscle injuries in the past as hip injuries. I recall them doing that with Doug Baldwin. So I'm assuming because he saw a core muscle specialist, this was actually more of a, of a core muscle thing. And when you, when you talk about surgery for those, that's usually in a, you know, half a season, an eight-week type thing. So the fact that he doesn't have to have that, at least not, not right now, uh, that's a good sign. As far as Jaron Reed, really the only update that Pete Carroll had post game was uh, he kind of glossed over it and called it. You know, he said he sprained his ankle a little bit. Um, so describing it as a minor sprain, but obviously severe enough to keep him out of that game in the second half. And um, it's it's kind of a miracle. It seems like that the Seahawks were able to get as much pass rush as they did without really their best pass rusher for the entire game. 
and one of their second, maybe their second, third best pass rusher for half that game. So he didn't use the word legit to describe. He did the, not uh... use the word legit. Yeah, <laughs> another good sign. And, and you know, I, you started. You kind of beat me to the punch. This was a, a terrific. Uh, front four performance. You know they got some cheap yards at the end that made the stats a little bit, a little bit uh, wonky. But they put pressure, constant pressure on Wentz without Jadavion Clowney, without Reed for a while. They stopped the run. I-, I thought the story of the game was the front four and the front seven, and maybe the Niners game wasn't an aberration. Now I know I'm a skeptic. I know I'm a cynic. So I got to play true to my my moniker here. There were no wide receivers. The Eagles had no wide receivers. And that had to play a part of all this. And the Niners were injured without George Kittle and some of the some of the guys offensively that they didn't have. So, yeah, two weeks in a row or two games in a row, I should say, the Seahawks defense looks a lot different than they did the first eight or nine games of the season. Yeah, and, and if you exclude that, that defensive touchdown that the 49ers got on Monday night, the totals over the last two games for the Seahawks defense has been two touchdowns, and four field goals allowed. And that's really over nine quarters because, remember, you know that 49ers game went to overtime. Um, and also, I believe it's eight sacks and 19 quarterback hits in those two games. And as we talked about, I'm sure you talked about on your podcast as well, uh, the, the pass rush was by far the biggest weakness of this team, really, over the first half of the season. And they've just suddenly kind of turned the tables on that over the last two games. And it's now – uh, been exactly what everybody kind of thought it would be. And again, even without Jadavion Clowney in this game on Sunday. And uh, that's a good sign for them. And, and, you know, Bradley McDougal talked afterwards about really how it's been night and day in terms of what that's meant for the secondary, having that pass rush yeah. uh, do what it's done. And, and it, you know, I think what he was referring to there was, you know, go back and watch his interception. You know, that was a tremendous play by Bradley McDougal to jump in front of that ball. He also got some help because you know Carson Wentz, when he threw that ball, there was two guys in his face. I think it was Puda Ford uh, and Rasheem Green had to throw off his back foot. The ball ended up floating, and that gave McDougal time to make that play. So um, they're playing better, really, at, at every single level. You know, wow. I think you also got to factor in the fact that Quandre Diggs uh, has been in there uh, kind of on, on the back end of that defense the last two games. You know, if you ask K.J. Wright, he does not think it's a coincidence that their two best games defensively have been with Quandre Diggs in the starting lineup. So um, a lot of different reasons you could point to, but certainly this is by far the best that defense has played all year. Very, very, very exciting. And you didn't, you just spoke beautifully about the defense and the pass pressure, and you didn't mention Ziggy. The arrival of Ziggy. Finally, we waited how many games? <laughs> 11 games it took for us to see something from the, uh, the free agent acquisition from the Detroit Lions. He, uh, he got in there a couple of two, three times caused some problems, bull rushed some defenders, and made an impact. This was happening just as uh, Shaquem Griffin, who I'll also ask you about, was starting to make an impact. So you got you got some push from two people that you weren't thinking about going into the game. Right, and, and you know, the, the word from Pete Carroll a couple weeks ago when, when really uh, the conversation about Ziggy Ansah was about, you know, why hasn't this guy done anything? And, and Pete Carroll's explanation was, you know, he's sort of still in the process of regaining his strength, regaining, uh, you know, his body weight after really not being able to do anything over the offseason. And I'll tell you, if you watch the, the, the play that resulted in Ansa's, I think it was his strip sack, uh, he bull rushed Andre Dillard, the first round pick, basically bull rushed him right into Carson Wentz. So he looked plenty strong on that play. And, and you, know, you got to wonder, maybe if, if the issue was his weight and his strength, um, you know, maybe the issue was he just needed kind of that bye week to, to get his legs underneath him because he certainly looked like a guy who 
was playing in midseason form and not like the guy that we had seen over the first 10 games who, you know, played hard, but really the impact was not there. If you're like me and you're still a little bit cynical, a little bit skeptical, I think we get the answer to the question about the defense on Monday night. They're going to face a Vikings team that I, I think is coming off of a bye week. Uh, is pretty healthy. I think Thielen will be back. They've got great wide receivers. They got a good tight end. They got a quarterback who's having a career year. They've got a hell of a running back. Uh, and I just, you know, I think that they've got all the different key keys to test this Seahawks defense. And I think we find out what the defense truly is made of against the Vikings on Monday. I agree with you. And and, and you mentioned Kirk Cousins there. If you look at Kirk Cousins. A lot of his numbers compare uh, w- favorably with Russell Wilson's. And, 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 you know, from the touchdown, I think he has maybe one or two fewer touchdowns, maybe one more interception. Uh, so he is quietly having a pretty strong year. And the guy is, really has not been mentioned much in an MVP consideration. Um, you know, he didn't really start the season all that well, which may have been a factor there. But, no, I, I agree with you. This is an offense that really – It has everything that you really can't point to a weakness in their um, balanced offense, you know, for for as much as they've invested at wide receiver uh, with paying digs and paying feeling the money they have. Like this is a team that wants to run the ball uh, with a defensive minded head coach and Mike Zimmer. And that's what they've been doing pretty well with with Dalvin Cook. So I agree with you. I mean, you, you could you could look at, you know, some of the injury issues that Seahawks have faced with the opposing offenses that they've faced the last couple games. Uh, and maybe that's part of it, but this is going to be an offense that, um, assuming it is at full strength, is really going to test them again. Football season, fireplace season. We don't talk to Brady Henderson or Rick Neuheisel or Peter King or Jason Lockenfor, any of them, if it weren't for John and his staff at Fireside Home Solutions, firesidehomesolutions.com. Let them come to your home and come up with a solution for a brand new fireplace this winter. Brady Henderson, can't wait to talk to you after the uh, the Vikings and Seahawks game on Monday night. We'll get a better sense of where the Seahawks defense is, but at 9-2, and two, I don't think anybody can complain over that record, right? No no Seahawks fan should be disappointed with 9-2 and two through 11 games. Certainly not. And, and by the way, 6-0 and oh on the road for the wow. first time in franchise history. But we don't want to hear. Yeah, but we don't want to hear people say, "Does that mean we want them to go on the road during the postseason?" I know that's going to start. <laughs> I don't want to hear any of that grumbling. We want it. We want them at home during the postseason. Brady Henderson, thanks for ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider. Thanks very much. You bet. Thanks, Mitch. Talk to you next week. There he is, Brady Henderson. After the seventeen to nine victory, should have been more like, I don't know, thirty to nine. At least it felt that way over the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. That means the Seahawks are nine and two and surging in the NFC with the Vikings on Monday night next. All right, I got a couple questions for you. Number one, were you one of the several thousand people that filled out a bracket in our first ever Mitch Unfiltered March Madness? Because Evergreen Golf Call was the presenting sponsor and gave away three trips, first-class trips, to Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley to our grand prize winners. Here's the second question. Did you pick a golfer in the Mitch Unfiltered Major Challenge, our first ever? Because Evergreen Golf Call again stepped up and presented the bucket list trip of a lifetime for two to play Pebble Beach with me. When I started this little podcast journey, CEO Tyler Hay contacted a mutual friend of ours, John Benz, and said, tell Mitch whatever their team at Evergreen Golf Call can do to help get him started, that they're in. 
headquartered in Bellevue with offices along the West Coast, Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley, been growing people's money for decades, omnipresent in our community with charity involvement like the Boys and Girls Club of Bellevue, and now the developer of a new online program to help those of us with limited savings get that same level of expertise as their high-wealth clients have been enjoying for all these years, and it's called Evervestment. So check them out at evervestment.com, E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T.com because you don't have to be an owner of a sports team for Evergreen Golf Call to be able to help you save your money for a rainy day and grow it. Evervestment from Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Georgia, I do not believe, has national championship pedigree offensively, but uh, I think their defense is uh, yeoman, and I think at home they'll they'll win the day. I'm, I'm on Georgia there. Fromm throws quickly, throws perfect to Pickens. Touchdown, Georgia. I think given what I know about Justin Fields and that uh, Ohio State offense and the completeness of it, I would have a hard time picking anybody other than the Buckeyes in this game. Second and seven, Fields looking backside in the corner. Touchdown, K.J. Hill over the shoulder, 24 yards. Episode 67 obviously continues with our buddy Rick Neuheisel. It's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions football season, fireplace season. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Rick Neuheisel on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Rick, about as inconsequential, I think, a weekend in college football as possible, maybe outside of the Ohio State-Penn State game. I don't see anything that shook the world up. Maybe you want to comment on the Oregon loss and what that does to Utah's candidacy if Utah should uh, run the table and beat Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. Well, uh, the Oregon loss obviously is a blow to the Pac-12, which would have loved to have had either team in the Pac-12 championship uh, have a chance to get into the playoffs. That probably ship, that ship has sailed. So now Utah has to win out. Um, Utah is fortunate that USC won. USC was part of the top 25 a week ago, probably will remain there again this week with their, uh, uh, 500-yard passing performance by Keaton Slovis yep. uh, in, in a victory over UCLA. I, it, so I, I think the Utes are still in good shape. Uh, Mac Jones didn't have to do much against the Catamounts of Western Carolina. You and I spoke <laughs> about the, uh, the Catamounts a week ago. Yep. But uh, he's going to have to put on a show this week as they get ready for Auburn. But I'm with you. I don't think uh, much in the way. Maybe the one thing we saw – was a inauspicious uh, performance by the Georgia offense. Now, it could be attributed to weather, but Georgia's offense has been sputtering. And a 1913 victory over Texas A&M, while a win, may give the committee uh, some pause as to where Georgia fits. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if Georgia falls from the number four spot. Really? Well, well, uh, Rick yeah. Neuheisel is our guest, and and Rick, it seems like my mind is all over the place every time I speak to you on these episodes. But as the weeks go on, it's it's becoming a little easier for a simpleton like me to figure this out. So what I've what I've decided to do is I've decided for this segment 
to boil it down to two. Do you remember the show $64,000 questions? Two $64,000 questions. We'll take them in order. I'm going to make one assumption and only one assumption when I ask you these two questions. The assumption I'm going to make is that Clemson is going to beat South Carolina and then beat whoever they play, Virginia, Virginia Tech, in the ACC title game. That's the only assumption I'm making. So now with that, with that being said, let's ask the two $64,000 questions. And I think I probably asked them to you in previous weeks, but you'll update your answers. Does LSU get in to the final four with a loss in the SEC title game to a Georgia team, assuming Georgia wins from here to there? I still am hesitant to say yes. Okay. I can see a, I can see a world where they do, but I'm hesitant to say yes because we it's uncharted territory. Uh, LSU's been fantastic. Joe Burrow's been fantastic. But losing on that final Saturday, especially against an anemic Georgia offense, I think is uh, worrisome. Okay, so then let's play that out for a second. Let's play that out. Let's say Clemson's one of the final four. Georgia, in that scenario that I just gave you, would be one of the final four, Correct. Uh, yes, correct. Uh, let's say Ohio State does its business. We're going to get, but we're coming back to Ohio State for a second. But let's just say Ohio right. State done, does their business. That's three. So now the committee would be essentially looking at three or four teams for that fourth spot. LSU would be one of them. LSU would have one loss. They'd have the Heisman Trophy winner. It would be one loss at the SEC title game to Georgia. And the committee would be looking at them vis a vis Alabama, maybe Utah maybe Oklahoma. I, I can't think of right. any other teams outside of that, given our assumptions, that would be in the conversation, you've, right? You've hit the uh, the three teams that would be under consideration, absolutely, right. assuming that Alabama beats Auburn. Right. And here's my and, and the other thing that you could throw in there in terms of what the committee would have in the back of their minds, it may never come to their lips, but they'd all be thinking that the national championship game is in New Orleans. Wouldn't it be nice oh to have LSU as part of the, the final four? But, but, but I am going to tell you yeah. that it's still problematic given the fact that they would have not put their best foot forward in that final Saturday. But which of these – and I want to believe you. I mean, you know a lot more than this, but I'm looking at these three teams. You'd have Alabama. How are you going to put Alabama in over LSU in this scenario when LSU beat them and Alabama didn't make Ala- it to the SEC title game? How are you going to do that? Alabama can't. Okay. It wouldn't be Alabama. So it would be, it would be, be Utah would, or Oklahoma, right? Exactly. And whichever one of those, and it, it, it truly really requires Utah to dismantle Oregon uh, and look the part doing it. Otherwise, I think LSU gets there. But I would not want to be LSU trying to sleep that night on Saturday wow. night, waiting for that wow. Sunday decision. I, if Utah, if Utah wins by 14 in Santa Clara, uh, you know, holds holds Oregon to let's just say 10 points and wins 24 to 10 or yeah. 31 to 10, uh, I think Utah gets in over LSU. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna just very very graciously disagree because I think at some point right. they're going to look at those two resumes. And I, and by the way, 
I think Utah is the sleeper in a country. I think they can win a game in the in the Final Four. I love the Utah team, but when you look at the resumes in this scenario of who Utah's beaten and who they've lost to and who LSU has beaten and who they lost to and where they lost these games, I don't know how you could make a real credible argument to put Utah in there over Joey Burrow and a one-loss LSU team to Georgia in the championship game. I tell you what, Mitch, we, we can agree to disagree, okay. but I tell you what, the committee will tip their hand and show us uh, whether you, they think you're on the right track or I'm on the right track this uh, Tuesday when we find out if Utah has climbed ahead of Georgia. But we still won't know if what you, they if, really if, think if, of a one-loss LSU team. We don't know what they really well, think of a one-loss. If, yeah. if Georgia falls behind Utah – they'll won't think as much of Georgia and they'll be more willing to ding okay. U, uh, okay. LSU for the loss. Okay. Let's move to the second $64,000 uh, question, which by the way, I think is the more reasonable and likely question. The one that I just gave you, I don't think is going to happen because I think LSU is the best team in the country. And I think LSU is going to win out. And I think they're going to beat Georgia in the SEC title game. So I, I don't think question one, $64,000 question one is going to come to play. Here's the one that's... So you're willing, you're yeah. willing to make question one $128,000 question <laughs> because you don't think it's going to come to pass. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. But the second... The second one, I think, is the biggie. I think the second one is going to be the question that everybody's going to be asking all week and for the next few weeks, and that's this. If LSU does indeed beat Georgia and Clemson gets there and Ohio State gets there, somebody's got to replace Georgia in the Final Four. And I think it's reasonable to have this 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 uh, discussion because LSU is going to be the favorite over Georgia. Who? What would be the pecking order of the teams? I guess maybe we just discussed it. Maybe we'd say, uh, would, are you willing to put Utah or Oklahoma in there first if both of those two teams win out the rest of the year? Utah will be first. Oklahoma would be second. Okay. And then the question is, where does Alabama fit? And the question will only be answered by the performance of Mac Jones and Alabama offensively against Auburn this Saturday in the Iron Bowl. If Mac Jones and the Alabama offense just runs roughshod yeah. uh, in Jordan Hare yeah. over a Auburn defense that has been considered one of the elite defenses in all the country yeah. and can put some 40-some-odd points. Remember, LSU beat them 23-20. to 20. So if Alabama can score 40-plus with Mac Jones as their quarterback, the committee will say, you know what, we got to pay, uh, pay real close attention to Alabama because just because they've lost their – you know, supposed star in Tua Tunga Bailoa, they are still one of the top four teams in the country. And it would take a, you know, 59 nothing type Ohio State win over Wisconsin, and like we saw in 2014, for Oklahoma or Utah to get past Alabama in that case. You're going to put Alabama ahead of both of those two teams if they run roughshod over Auburn. If they run roughshod and Utah doesn't run roughshod okay. over Oregon. Even though it, it, even it, though it, Utah it, and Oklahoma have the distinct advantage of getting to play in their championship games, Alabama would have to sit at home and watch those two teams play, you know, top 25 level opponents. 
Exactly, right. exactly. But uh, I think uh, Oklahoma's shown enough warts, whether it's their offense or their defense. Okay. Uh, there's been enough close calls that Alabama can get by them with a very impressive win in the Iron Bowl. Uh, Utah's their problem. If Utah continues to just uh, control games as they have, I think Utah is still ahead of Alabama. But uh, if that's an Oregon, either, uh, you know, obviously if Oregon wins, but if, if Oregon and Utah go down to the final possession, I think Alabama might sneak ahead of them. The voice of Rick Neuheisel. It's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Terrific people, John and his staff at Fireside Home Solutions that make this discussion and all of our football-related conversations possible. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. So the the next question, I think I already know the answer to. It's not 64000 It's probably more like twelve grand. But I think I know your answer <laughs> to it because you, you, I was going to ask you about Ohio State. Could Ohio State split – the Michigan and then Pat and then uh, Big Ten title game, and still get into the Final Four. Your answer is obviously going to be no because you don't even think that LSU might. If LSU's not getting in with one loss, be it Georgia at the end of the year, you don't think Ohio State's getting in with a loss to either Michigan or whoever they play in the Big Ten title game, right? Do I have that right? I think the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten champs getting in, it, with the exception of Wisconsin. I think the Big Ten champ is getting in. So if Minnesota and Ohio State play for it, regardless of Ohio State's uh, outcome against Michigan, I think the Big Ten champ is in. Uh, you know, it might be the four hole that they end up in uh, if they if Ohio State were to lose to Michigan. But I still think Ohio State could be one of the top four teams despite a loss in the Big House this oh. weekend. Oh. As long as they take care of business in the Big Ten championship, you, you don't you don't believe the same about Minnesota. You don't think Minnesota can lose to Wisconsin this weekend, then beat Ohio State, and then a, a two loss Minnesota team would not get in. Well, no. Minnesota doesn't get to play. The winner of Minnesota oh, that's right. plays in the that, championship. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I apologize. So, yeah, that's so right. Minnesota that's right. would have to win. Right. Would have to win to Both. get to the Big Ten championship game. Yeah. And if they do, uh, I think Minnesota would be in, in the four hole. All right, let's finish our conversation for episode 67 with a thought uh, on two individuals. We talk a lot of team football here which is the way to do this but there's two individuals has joe as your guy joe burrow as he is it the heisman trophy's over right there, i mean there's no there's no going back on this now i don't think so okay. i do not see a path for someone to catch joe burrow he has been sensational 23 of 28 the last time out against arkansas three more touchdowns you know when you're throwing 80 percent in a in a lackluster performance yeah there's something special about you. So I think yeah. Burrow can uh, start to etch his name okay. in the uh, straight arm trophy. And the funny thing is, the last the last comment that I want from you is about a player that's probably even more impressive than Burrow, even though he can't win the Heisman or he's not going to win the Heisman. I- I've asked you about Chase Young before. I know of DeMatha High School as a basketball factory, not a football factory. And Chase Young apparently comes out of DeMatha High School he, he sits out two games due to suspension, and then all he does against Penn State is what? Come up with three sacks, five tackles for, for losses. He's got 16 – Rick, he's got 16 and a half sacks, and he's missed two games. This is, this, is, this is all world stuff. What makes him so special in your estimation as a player? Well, he's uh, a combination of great length, right? Uh, the new the new term, the avant-garde term in, in football now is length, meaning wingspan, 
right? When you have a great wingspan, you have the ability to keep offensive linemen at bay. And he has shown that he's, you know, kind of like what Jadavian Clowney was a few years back when he was in sensation at South Carolina. Uh, you mentioned he had a couple games off, so he comes back and he feels fresh. He's, you know, his body's feeling good. He hadn't played in the last couple of weeks and he puts on a great performance on a nationally televised game, uh, against Penn state in, in wreaks havoc. He's mostly an edge pressure guy, but his, uh, redirection skills in terms of, uh, when people try to, uh, what we call zone read somebody where you're reading him, not blocking him because you don't think it possible. So you're putting the ball in the belly of a back. And, and if he takes the back, then the quarterback keeps and runs around him. There's more than enough uh, examples on film where he takes both and, and, and uh, makes plays. That's why his nickname, Mitch is the predator. <laughs> he is, he is a unique, unique uh, specimen there on the edge he will be a top pick, I would say, either one or two, depending on who's at the top and, uh, and, and what their needs are for quarterback. But uh, Chase Young is, is a special, special player. Who is he in the pros? Is he Khalil Mack? Who is he? Uh, I think he's a combination of Khalil Mack and uh, uh, because I think Khalil's more of a bull rusher. Uh, a little bit more more uh, girth to him. This guy's going to more speed rush you around the edge. Remember the uh, Javon Curse, the freak from the Tennessee Titans from years ago? Yep. I think he's a combination of Khalil Mack and Javon Curse. Well, we've got a lot of fun fun times ahead. These next few weeks are going to be very, very, very exciting. Rick Neuheisel has been kind enough to be with us on each and every episode here during the football season. Enjoy this next weekend. We'll talk in a week's time, and I think there'll be less sixty-four thousand dollar questions for you, Rick. Thanks so much. We should be up. <laughs> we should be upping the ante by next week, now, Mitch. I'm just telling you, Fireside Home Solutions uh, sales are going to go through the roof, and we'll be able to up the ante. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Thanks so much. See you, my friend. Take care. Our buddy Rick Neuheisel of CBS Sports on a very exciting college football story. But can you believe? that our Washington Huskies have lost five games before the Apple Cup. What kind of odds could you have gotten on that? Five losses before the Apple Cup for Coach Peterson and the Washington Huskies. Just a throwaway season if I've ever seen one. I told you earlier that more and more people are refinancing their home with the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage and Jordan Flowers team, including, of course, my executive producer of Mitch Unfiltered, Steve Dion. Yeah, I gave uh, Jordan a buzz in uh, late July. Um, was interested to get a uh, quote on a refi, um, just the way the market has been with, with interest rates dropping as they have. Kind of tailored a, a mortgage around my preferences. One of the main parts that was appealing was the fact that he was able to cut out my mortgage insurance. Uh, he bought that out completely, um, really consolidated the loan into one clean monthly payment, amortized over a shorter time horizon and at a lower rate. Really easy process. You know, working with Jordan and Christina there, not not bad for a coog. You know, I I was uh, hesitant to put my uh, put my dollars and cents into uh, the hands of a, a Wazoo grad, but. You know, it all turned out t- turned out well th- thus far. From beginning to end, Steve, how long did it take? It took about a month total. How long was the first phone conversation until you determined what you could save per month? It's about a 15-minute call. When you include the mortgage insurance, 
how much less are you paying per month now on a percentage basis thanks to the refi with the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage? I'm paying about 8 to 10% less a month. On top of that, uh, we'll be paying for five less years. So it's kind of a win-win on both both sides. So my line on the podcast that you're crazy not to call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with the low interest rates at the moment, just to find out what you could be saving in a refinance is on point. Well, it, it's valid unless you want to spend more money every month. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Oh, and Mitch, one last thing. Where's my tumbler? <laughs> there it is. Stop standing on the sidelines. Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. Unfiltered. I'm so thrilled to have our next guest here on episode 67. Jeff Goodman is truly one of the best in the college basketball world. You can hear him on the Good and Plenty podcast. You can see him on Stadium Sports at WatchStadium.com. He was long time with ESPN, and he's agreed to be with us from time to time during the college basketball season. Brought to you by Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. And Jeff joins us to talk a little college hoops I guess the first question I should ask, Jeff, since I'm here in in the Pacific Northwest and you picked Washington to go a a distance, have you gotten a chance to see the dog since the last time we chatted? And what do you think so far? Very young. You know, I I haven't, but I've talked to coaches who have seen them and played against them. And um, they're impressed with them. But again, as we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, their Achilles heel can be the point guard play. And and Kawhi Green's gotten off to kind of a rough start. um, McDaniel's going to be up and down a little bit, and, and even Isaiah Stewart's going to have his issues because, again, the guard play is going to be inconsistent. Um, so the coaches that I've talked to, and one of which I talked to uh, today was was Baylor Scott Drew, uh, felt like this is a team that's going to get a lot better throughout the course of the year. He said the zone is incredibly difficult to play against. Um, and I think, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really depend on point guard play, how far this team is able to go. It's a work in progress. So what is, after a few weeks, you've seen a lot of basketball. You were in South Carolina, Charleston, Myrtle Beach. You've, you've been present. You were in the Garden earlier. You saw a lot of basketball from a lot of different teams. For me, my number one storyline so far is I can't remember a year, Jeff, where there seems to be less separation between, let's call them, the big boys and everyone else. Duke struggled with Georgia State and Georgetown. Louisville beat Akron by six. Michigan and Can- Michigan State, Kansas have both lost games. So has Kentucky. I, I just, I, and I know that we expected this, but boy, it just seems like it's so wide open and the, the country is looking for a couple of teams to take charge. You feel that way? Yeah, and so does Jay Wright. I, I just got done having this conversation with, with Jay Wright before, you know, they lost to, to Baylor in the championship game uh, in Myrtle Beach. And, you know, he feels like, all right, we've still got a long way to go. But those dominant teams that are typically dominant, he said, there's usually like three of them that stand out. He said, they don't do it this year. And maybe somebody will become that. And he's hoping Villanova can become that because he's got a ton of talent again. And Colin Gillespie, his point guard, uh, is playing unbelievable basketball. And if some of his young guys, you know, Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Cole Swider and uh, some of the other guys kind of develop, 
he feels like he has a chance, and maybe that wouldn't be the case in, in five years ago. But this year, again, Kentucky doesn't look like Kentucky. Duke, I know they're number one, but they are not your typical Duke team. Carolina has Cole Anthony, but they're they're playing two fifth-year grad transfers a ton of minutes. So yeah. um, the Blue Bloods are down. Even Kansas, who I picked to win it all uh, preseason number one, you know, as I watch them at the Garden, um, I wasn't blown away by them. I, I think they have a chance to get to the Final Four, but I'm not sure they can win it all. Um, although, as I say that, I say to myself, well, somebody's got to win it all, so maybe it will be Kansas. And that, by the way, you mentioned the Baylor win over Villanova. That helps Washington, right? Just for our listeners who aren't yeah. savvy with college basketball, that, that that win over Baylor is getting – hopefully will get better and better over time, right? Yeah, Baylor's going to be a top 25 team. They're, they're only going to get better. Um, because their big kid, Tristan Clark, uh, is only at about 80 85% right now. Uh, Baylor could be the second-best team in the Big 12. Scott Drew is a hell of a coach. He's done a really good job, doesn't get enough credit. Um, so, yeah, that, that will definitely help because um, your net ranking, which is what is most important these days and the new tool that's in its second year for the NCAA, uh, is based not only who you beat but um, who your, your opponents play as well in their their strength of schedule yeah uh the voice of jeff goodman brought to you by evergreen golf call a premier wealth manager in the northwest we'll we'll wrap up with a couple of comments on a couple of different items here you and i spoke about it a couple of weeks ago in fact you and i've spoken about it the last few years the struggles for the pac-12 out of conference and what it's done to their reputation before they've ever gotten to conference play these last few years. People around the country kind of wrote the Pac-12 off on January 3rd. Well, this time around, a little different. I think it's been a solid out-of-conference performance by the conference, by the Pac-12. You agree with that, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, at least you've got a couple big boys, right? You've got a couple teams that are, that are doing – Arizona's doing what we think Arizona should do. Uh, UCLA is down, but Oregon is really good. Uh, I think Washington, again, is going to be top 25-ish good. Um, you know, you get some teams down the bottom that are that are hurting it for sure, right? I mean, Washington State's not very really good this year. Yeah. Uh, Stanford's going to be down. Cal's terrible. So that's going to hurt. The bottom of the league's going to hurt. But you need, you know, four or five teams that go into the league um, that have resume potential, meaning – that if you're Washington and you're playing Arizona, you're playing Oregon, maybe there's one other team that slips in there, hopefully. Those are resume potential wins. So if you win one of them, you can, you can add to your resume, um, hopefully to, to, to make sure you get in the NCAA tournament. Jeff, when James Wiseman, and more, more, more specifically Memphis, raised the middle finger to the NCAA and went out and got that injunction on that Friday night so that Wiseman could play in a in a game against yeah. UC, well, I don't know who it was. I don't even remember. Chicago, I think it was. Uh, University of Illinois. Savannah I don't know. State, right, who the hell right. knows? Who cares? I, th right? I thought this was going to have an, a really ugly ending. I thought that maybe it would have an ugly ending for Wiseman and then Memphis would get in trouble. But now it seems to be cleared up. He's going to miss 11 games. Did this go the way you thought it would go? I thought Memphis knew something that we didn't, right? I thought maybe James Wiseman had lawyers that uh, really knew what they're doing, but obviously they didn't. And, and they realized that this wasn't worth the fight. Um, this wasn't worth playing him in three games when the NCAA basically said, uh, you shouldn't play him. And now he gets three games tacked on um, to a nine-game suspension, which kind of coincides with, with the $11,500 he took from Penny Hardaway when – 
Hardaway was a high school and AU coach luring him, uh, Wiseman from Nashville to Memphis to play for him. So, uh, yeah, it could really end up costing them. We'll, we'll see, but there's a chance this could end up costing them an NCAA tournament bid at the end of the day if they can't win enough non-league games. They, you know, they got one against Ole Miss, but they need a little bit more than that. And if they can't get it, it puts some pressure on them going into league play. And there's not a lot of big-time teams right now in the American Athletic Conference. Since he's down, Houston's not as good as they've been in the last few years. UConn's still not very good. Uh, Wichita is okay. They've gotten better, but they're not what they were. So I don't know how many resume wins, again, are going to be on the slate when it comes to league play. So they better get them in the non-conference, and they're not going to have the potential number one pick in all these non-conference games. Uh, finish up with the uh, the Thanksgiving Day week. Everybody loves their football on Thanksgiving. They love their college football. They like their NFL I happen to be a huge college basketball fan during Thanksgiving week. You got all these little tournaments going on. By the way, some of them are played in like ballrooms. I get a kick out of that. Like there's like yes, lights hanging, yes. like chandeliers like hanging over yep. Gonzaga. The, the, one that, the one that catches my eye, Jeff, and I don't know where you're going if you're going anywhere, but the one that catches my eye, Gonzaga, North Carolina, Seton Hall, yep. and Oregon are oh, all in yes. this battle for the Atlantis. That's a loaded field, right? We're going to see some good basketball. Yeah, and I went there a few years ago. I took my family there, and you're right. It's in a ballroom, and it's funny. The coaches get upset because they literally have to walk through into a like hallway in the, you know, in the the, the hotel, walk through a bunch of fans. So like, <laughs> I forget who was there if it was Kay or Roy, but one of them was just like you could tell they were not happy. <laughs> so I was going to go down again this year with my family, but it's expensive to go to the Bahamas, and it was it was just tough to do so i'm gonna believe it or not i'm gonna spend my first thanksgiving in i believe 15 years with uh extended family i always go take my wife and daughter wherever i go to cover the at a tournament yeah it's usually yeah. orlando yeah. la atlanta something like that we're gonna go to her family in, in in virginia and i'm gonna do what you do i'm gonna i'm gonna sit in front of the tv and i'm gonna watch football i'm gonna watch college hoops I don't know how much college football I'll watch, but I'll watch NFL yeah. uh, and a ton of college hoops. And I'll probably get more done, to be honest, flipping through and watching everything than being at one tournament. Who's going to win this battle of Atlantis, battle for Atlantis? I don't know. I mean, I think it's fairly wide open, to be honest. I don't know if there's a dominant – again, like, I just look around the country, and I don't know how good Gonzaga is yet. You know, Seton Hall, obviously they got a great player, Miles Powell, but yeah. – um, you know, Carolina's got a great player in Cole Anthony. There's just not a lot of separation. So um, your guess is kind of as good as, as mine. I thought for sure Villanova was going to be Baylor um, in Myrtle Beach here. And Florida really came back and uh, took it to Xavier. I mean, they ended up hanging on against Xavier. But they controlled that game in, in, in Charleston, and they bounced back from an embarrassing loss to UConn. So it's just showing that. I really think this is going to be as unpredictable a season as, as we've seen in a long, long time. Which makes it even more interesting and makes me yes. more privileged to be able to talk to Jeff Goodman on a semi-regular basis. Thanks for thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy your Thanksgiving with football and your daughter and your family. And uh, I, I look forward to the next likewise, time we get a chance to, to chat. Thank you, Jeff. No, li likewise. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Ben.
The college basketball season is off and running, and that's the voice of Jeff Goodman, longtime ESPN guy who's now with Stadium Sports, and he's going to be a regular contributor all the way through the college basketball season and the NCAA basketball tournament right here on Mitch Unfiltered. Confession, I'm craving a chopped salad and two or three slices of a chicken club pizza at Zeke's Pizza. Chicken, bacon, spinach, tomato, red onion, delicious. And as the Seahawks continue to win games like they did in Philadelphia, I feel the need to remind you that you can sit at home, watch the Hawks stride towards that NFC West title, and enjoy delicious Zeke's Pizza and craft beer all at the very same time in your family room on Sundays, Monday nights, Thursday nights. Download and use their mobile app. Order online, Zeke'sPizza.com, or just call 206-285-8646. 206-285-8646. Any combination, by the way, of food and beer, just as long as it's minimum $15 charge. Mix and match, order six different beers, whatever you want. All the drivers have shoulder coolers, so believe me, the beers will show up nice and cold right to your front door. Again, the phone number, Zeke's Pizza delivers, 206-285-8646 or Zeke'sPizza.com. I love Zeke's Pizza. It's homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Episode 67, Mitch Unfiltered continues. We're going to we're going to wander. We're going to wander outside my comfort zone here to try to find out about the 737 Max produced by Boeing, which has obviously been grounded, and they're looking to get clearance to fly again. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Dan Catchpole, an aviation writer for Fortune Magazine, amongst others, and he knows all about the particulars with Boeing. Start from the beginning, if you wouldn't mind, Dan, about the grounding of the 737 uh, MAX the two crashes, what, in Indonesia and Ethiopia, and the software that apparently is at the center of this controversy. Uh, well, hey, Mitch, thanks for having me. A uh, pleasure. Obviously, it's a tragic topic, but um, one that I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people about. It's, it's a lot going on. It puts a lot of people, makes them feel really uncomfortable about flying. Um, so, I mean, I can go way, way back if you want, or I can just can I pick it up the, the short version well there's Probably the short version we lost we lost we lost 300 and like 50 350 passengers yeah, on two flights in two years yeah go ahead it, first one was just over a year ago uh lion air uh crashed uh just after taking off in indonesia and you know, there was some uh, as with any crash there's an investigation and there are concerns raised um and the the aerospace industry takes every accident very very seriously. Everybody I've ever talked with in this industry, uh, regardless of whatever else you can say about them, good or bad, they very take very seriously and feel very deeply the the reality that they people are entrusting their lives to the work that they do. After the initial crash, there was some concern, but no nobody was concerned about the fundamental safety of the 737 MAX. Five months later in March, uh, Ethiopian Air Airlines crashed shortly after takeoff and very similar circumstances, essentially at both planes uh, after taking off within a few minutes, a flight control system kicked in that the pilots were not uh, really aware of what was going on 
and kept pushing the plane into nosedives and they were fighting to get, regain control and ultimately they just ran out of time and space and uh, ended tragically again 346 people uh, everybody on board both planes killed uh, and shortly after that within a couple days um, the planes had been grounded worldwide and uh, that is where a lot of the controversy began Boeing initially insisted the planes were safe. The FAA stood by them. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration stood by them. International or foreign aviation regulators were more skeptical, uh, justifiably, and foreign regulators began uh, grounding the airplane, forcing the FAA within a couple days to follow suit. And so now we've got you know, a few hundred of these airplanes on the ground, um, none have been delivered, and months later, uh, regulators are still trying to work out when the plane will be safe to fly again. Boeing is still working on the fixes and what training is required, and uh, you know, on top of that, there's multiple investigations going on into the accidents, mm-hmm. criminal investigation, um, congressional inquiries. And and so on and so on. Uh, obviously, it's brought a lot of scrutiny yeah. to Boeing and how we uh, certify and regulate the aerospace industry. And at the center of this controversy is this software. As I understand, it's called the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, the MCAS and whether they should pull it out and restart it or whether they should modify it. I know a Canadian official, I read a story about a Canadian official that uh, jumped into the into the fray saying that they ought to, they ought to pull it out. Uh, I don't know how much of this you know, but I'm, I'll ask the question because it's all over my head. Do I understand this correctly, that there was some sort of an optional add-on, like an indicator, which cost extra and has been determined to be vital with issues arising in those uh, commercial airlines that didn't you know, purchase this extra indicator? Do I have that right? As with anything, um, it's one of these things where it could have helped. It's not entirely clear, I don't think, uh, that it would have made all the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think, a bigger issue than just one light. I think that's more indicative of some of the questionable decisions that Boeing made in terms of how fully transparent it was, how cautious it was about the changes it was making, um, and that it is in line with how much it emphasized the how pilots don't need a, a lot of additional training for this flight system, that downplaying it in the certification process and not drawing a lot of attention to it in the training manual for uh, you know, pilots who are coming onto this under the max. So I, I don't think as with any crash, there's no one thing that it, oh, if it only, but if this was different, this wouldn't have happened. It's always a series of things. So I, I saw that Boeing unveiled its newest version of these 737 maxes uh, uh, late this last week what what happens next obviously their goal is to get this plane back in the air as soon as possible obviously needs certification by the faa when do you think that that will happen everybody is wondering they're they're in a hurry obviously and what's been 
What's been the commercial airline's reaction to all of this? Do we do we know for sure that just as soon as certification comes from the FAA that that uh, commercial airlines are going to line up to get their hands on this plane? Yeah, in terms of the ones who already have it, or or you mean the ones who are waiting delivery? The the, the, the ones the that have bought the ones that have that have bought or ordered. Do they? Is everybody eager to put this plane in the air again? I guess is the question. Yes, I, I mean no. Yeah, everybody wants it to fly again. Nobody wants it to fly when it's unsafe. Boeing obviously is feeling a, a bit more pressure to an urgency to get this plane back in the air. They, you know, originally when the, the plane was grounded, they said there would be a few months they would have a fix. Uh, like by midsummer, it would be back to flying passengers. And they just have routinely had to uh, you know, kick the, the gold date down the line. And once again, it's, it looks like it's going to be slipping out further. They were hoping to have it back in the air by the by the end of the year and then January. And then the other day uh, at the Dubai Air Show, the head of the FAA, Stephen Dixon, told reporters that a January return to service dates uh, was, I think, said, like, quote, very aggressive or something. I forget the exact words, but uh, and that March would be a more conservative date. I mean, clearly signaling to Boeing that it needs to stop trying to pressure the FAA into moving this along faster than than uh, the regulators are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Airlines uh, have been saying that they expect it to be back in the air later than Boeing does. And part of that is just that it takes time to, once it's certified to be safe to return to service, it takes time. They've got to pull out every aircraft and make sure it's got to you know, have to be intensively checked. There's going to be additional pilot training. So there is some lag that said, uh, airlines have seemed to be a bit more uh, skeptical about Boeing's projections than than Boeing is. Uh, the what, the interesting question for them for for airlines at that point will be how comfortable their their passengers yes. are yes. with getting on this yes. on Max. There have been a lot of people uh, chatter on social media, people saying that they'd never fly in them again, and there have been several consumer surveys done by various companies that as show passengers are pretty pretty reluctant to get on i expect that there will be some people who will never fly in a max but most people don't pay attention to what airplane they're on and, that, and yeah, yeah. the realities of just you know hey you need to get on a plane you've got you know you, it's a max you might not be thrilled but you don't want to miss your cousin's wedding and so you're going to take that flight that and that was my last question dan or my second to last question anyway <laughs> Uh, I'm one who has been flying for all my life. I don't know that I've ever paid attention. I don't even know whether when I make the reservation, I can see at the time of the reservation what kind of plane it's going to be. Are are those days changing? Uh, Are we coming to a day and age where all of us consumers, when we make our reservation, we're going to want to know not just what airlines. We want to know what kind of plane it is. And if it's the kind of plane that we don't want to get on, we're going to go somewhere else. We'll take our money somewhere else. Is that happening or is that will that never happen? Well, so you can actually when you when you book a flight or even just search for flights, it will tell you what plane the plane type. Uh, is slotted for that flight. Uh-huh. The reality is, though, just because of the the daily pressure of maintaining a network of flight operations, that's just kind of like a placeholder. Airlines 
can and do Change swap out airplane types at the last minute. So because you don't know. You don't know until you're getting on it, right? You don't know until yeah, you're getting so, on it. Yeah, so I mean – there's no there's no promise being made. It's just, I mean, hey, you know, if you're flying on Alaska, you know it's always going to be a 737. Do or if I, you're on uh, Southwest, you know it's always going to be a 737. Dan, am I entitled? Well, is, am I entitled if I don't want to ever fly a 737 MAX again and I get to the airport and there it is, am I entitled to go up to the airlines and say, no, I don't want to get on that plane? Do I get my money back? Do I get transferred onto a different flight? How does that work? I guess you're entitled to say that. The reaction, I <laughs> I would guess the airlines are probably going to... Laugh at me. You know, it depends on their customer service. I'm sure some would t- would try to accommodate you because they want you to fly with them in the future. But no, I mean, there's no... Passengers don't have a right to object about to the aircraft type. I should say, uh, Alaska does not have an all-737 flight after the merger with Virgin. Um, they do have some Airbus A320s in their fleet. Is this the biggest controversy in terms of safety in the history of Boeing, the Boeing Corporation? Potentially. Air travel is far safer today than it has been at any point in the past. The more troubling aspect of this for me, and I think for a lot of people who I've spoken with who are following this, and certainly for Pete DeFazio, the representative who's running the uh, House Congressional Inquiry, the factor that Boeing's culture seems to have played in these crashes. Uh, Boeing has gone from being traditionally a very engineering-intensive company that was also profitable to being a company that is really focused on its quarterly earnings and is also happens to be an engineering company. But the priority seems to be in the past 15, 20 years, increasingly that focus on quarterly earnings that has led the company to make some really questionable decisions in terms of how it's spending its money, where it's putting its priorities. I mean, the company routinely in recent years has spent more buying back shares from shareholders than it does on research and design uh, work. I mean, they're essentially saying they have nothing better to do with their money than to make shareholders a richer. That's raised a lot of eyebrows among aerospace analysts and uh, beat reporters such as myself. We've seen in the wake of the crashes, the company has lawyered up. The way it's handled the the PR aspect of this has been very, uh, I think, upsetting to a lot of people. And they've, you know, they got taken to the woodshed. At, or the CEO, Dennis Mullenberg, got taken to the woodshed by you know, the senators and, and the House members during two congressional hearings because of that. Dan Catchpole, aviation writer for Fortune magazine on the uh, Boeing 737 MAX controversy. By the way, listeners can help with the reporting. You can contact him with tips by using a cryptid, encrypted messaging using Signal at the following phone number, 206-355-4319. That's 206-355-4319. And Dan, with all of this, I buried the lead by mistake. Apparently, I'm speaking to somebody who interviewed Muhammad Ali. I'm not sure that, That's I, be- right. yeah. I'm not sure that I believe that. As a sports guy... I, you've got to convince me that, that that's the that's the truth here. You interviewed the greatest, Muhammad Ali. How did that happen? I, uh, as a senior editor of my high school newspaper, I grew up outside Boston. He was coming there to uh, on a book tour. And so uh, whoever was running the PR for reached out to a bunch of local high schools 
and said, Hey, do you want to send somebody along? So I got to go along with the, you know, the, the press uh, group for the day and had a chance to go over and talk with him for a few minutes and talk with his wife. Uh, you know, obviously this was the late nineties. So he was, didn't have a lot to say, but, um, had this moment where he like held up his fist and for just this like split second, you could see the greatest, uh, was still wow. there. Wow. And I mean, it was, it was one of the greatest moments of my, my journalism career. Wow. Very nice. Dan Catchpole, uh, joining us on the, uh, uh, Muhammad Ali and the 737 Max and Boeing will have to kind of wait and see when the next time these these planes go up in the air and how much reservation there is from passengers and from commercial airlines to use them. Dan, thanks very much for being with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Appreciate it very much. Uh, thank you. Something a little different every once in a while. Dan Catchpole there on the controversy swirling around the Boeing 737 Max aircrafts, the tragedies the grounding, the investigations, and the future relaunch. So in the last week alone on regular and patron podcasts, you've heard from Peter King, Rick Neuheisel twice, Jason Lockenfor, Brady Henderson, and every one of those interviews were made possible by John's team at Fireside Home Solutions. So if you'd like to consider a brand new fireplace this winter and you enjoy Mitch Unfiltered's football programming, why in the world would your first call not be to Fireside Home Solutions. Not to mention that, simply put, no one provides the kind of in-home service of fireplaces, barbecues, garage doors than Fireside Home Solutions. Here's what I suggest. Take these guys up on their offer to come to your home free of charge, take a look at your space or your old unit, and work with you on a solution that satisfies your craving and budget. Then visit one of their six great showrooms from Seattle down to Portland. Old fireplaces waste a ton of energy and Fireside Home Solutions really simplifies the process. Plus they do the outdoor barbecue setups and the garage doors. Check them out. FiresideHomeSolutions.com Unfiltered. The Other Stuff segment, Hot Shot Scott, the Other Stuff segment, we got three interviews, four interviews. You had Rick Neuheisel on the college football playoff. I'm really disappointed that you know I don't root for Oregon, but Oregon's loss yeah. kind of hurts Utah because if Utah runs a table, you wanted them to beat an Oregon team that had won all the way through to that point. Oh, I see, yeah. It hurt them a little bit because I'm rooting for Utah to represent the Pac-12 in the college football playoff. But, but it was funny anyway. to watch Oregon lose. <laughs> Rick Neuheisel, uh, Brady Twice. Henderson, Jeff Goodman on the world of college basketball. I love college basketball, and a little bit on the Boeing controversy. Anyway, a Good. little, a little, a little wandering away from the world of sports. But we've got a lot of other stuff to get to, don't we? I mean, the Forza gotta... Racing Championship kicked off. Congratulations to Team Red Bull. Red Bull Racing won it this weekend. Yes. Hey, who hey. is who? Now, who are these people? Well, they're... who would be Team Red Bull? Well, it's teams of three, and yeah. then they have a coach. So we had a, in 2018, we had a. It was just individuals. The number one, the number two, and the number four teamed up this year to make Red Bull, and they're sponsored by Red Bull, the drink. Yeah. So they were our big winner. So in they Burbank. came to Burbank and p- competed. Yeah, we flew they, all the drivers in. But but the but typically they don't. They, they do it from home. They right? do it from yeah. And online. are these like 12 year old guys? I mean, who who are these people? <laughs> well, they're like, are these like 21, these, 22. They are. Yeah, they're young guys. Yeah, I mean, when you're like 30, these you're guys like just sit up. in front of and they just do video games all day long. This right? one, yeah, they just they just hour after hour, but it paid off. They got 80 grand. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at, right? Oh, God, 
Don't tell your sons. That's an easy 80 Gs over two weeks, over two, oh, over two days. So congratulations to Red Bull. I know you're all on the edge all of your right. seats. Trivia night. question for you. Oh, who's, I like it. Who's the largest man in the history of the NFL to, to catch a touchdown pass? Refrigerator Perry. No, not no, anymore. I, I don't know. Well, I don't know that he ever caught a touchdown pass. Ah. I think he just ran him in. When, when Dicka gave him the ball instead of Walter Payton, I'm still pissed about uh, that. That was not classy. No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The biggest man in the history of the NFL is a University of Washington product. 300 and I believe 67 pound oh. feet of Vea. And I'm not sure he's three. I think you need two scales for that guy. <laughs> the truck scale? Yeah, you need a truck scale. <laughs> Vita Vea caught a ball for a touchdown for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's right, yeah. He became the biggest man in the history of football to catch a touchdown. Pass. Crazy that they keep track of that. I guess it's not hard to keep track of it, right? No. I ended up going to the Magic Castle in Burbank. Oh. Have you heard of the Magic Castle? Well, you and I talked about this on one of the patron shows, I think. I think it's somewhere in West Hollywood where That's we right. near where we stay. We drive around and it's you on see sunset. it's kind of, it's yeah, it's kind of up on the hill. Yep. That's right. Yeah, Big I know exactly where you're talking about. You went, you have to be a me- isn't it a membership deal? Members only. Yes, yeah. you got to be a member. But I happened to one of the guys we work with, his grandpa had been a member his whole life and it was it was awesome. It was so, so what happened? What'd you do? Fun. So you walk in, there's a little owl, and you say open sesame to the owl before you can even go in, and then the whole bookshelf like moves. Yeah. Like out of Scooby Doo or something. And you go in. And there's all these different rooms, some bigger than others, and there's a magic act in each room. And you show there's a little sign that the show starts at eight fifteen or something. Some of the shows are like fifteen minutes. And you just wander around. There's a bar, there's a restaurant we had. Can dinner kids upstairs. go? Is this for kids or no? They have a brunch one on Saturday and Sunday. So you can take your kids to the brunch ones, but not. But at you night. have to still be a member to get. Can you get me and my kids in the next time we go to California? Yes. Really? I can have a guy call it in for you. Hey guys, we're going to the magic show. <laughs> What's it called again? The magic, magic Castle. Magic. Now, we're going do, to the Magic Castle in L.A. Do they got suit and tie? Are they good to go? Because I got spoken to. I got. You got to wear a suit and tie for brunch on a Saturday, a kid. I don't, there's a there's my 14 year old's got to wear a suit and tie. It's a private club. They got their own rules. Hotshot got spoken to for having his jacket off. By the way, I was in the lobby for two minutes. Sir, do you have a jacket with you? I was like, all right, all right, all right. Really? Yeah. To watch magic. It's crazy, yes. Anyway, yeah. cool. If you ever get a chance to go, it's really fun. Browns tailgate took it, took it to a new level on Sunday before the Browns-Dolphins game. Okay. The Browns at the tailgate, they had a pinata yeah. of Mason Rudolph. And they had people with helmets <laughs> with, with blindfolds. God. Swinging the helmet at Ma- at Mason Rudolph. NFL fans, they are the worst. But that's pretty funny. I like is it, it or is it in bad taste that their guy yeah. that their guy just got finished throwing his helmet, swinging his helmet at Mason Rudolph? Now all the fans are swinging at Mason Rudolph, hanging pinatas, God. blindfolded with a uh, with a helmet, with a Browns helmet. I or saw that a- Mason Rudolph got a fine like a week later for fifty grand. Did you yeah. see? It? Yo, he should have got thrown out. Yeah. He got benched. Did you see that he got benched? Yeah, he didn't play well. After all that, the <laughs> stupid guy gets benched. <laughs> all right, this isn't a sports story, but it, for some reason it totally made me laugh, and it's maybe because I work in an office every day. You've never really had that kind of job where you sit there for nine hours a day. But email's a big part of the office life, as you know. Do you know the name Nick Vasos? You don't know, unless you saw the story. No. He called out sick, like we all do, for whatever oh, reason. Oh, I know the story. I know the story, and it went it, it, it went to like thousands of employees or something. The company has he's 200. a but he's a broadcast he's like a weatherman or like a, yeah. he's a newscaster. That's right, he's an right. on air guy. Yeah. So he tried to just send it to his boss. He did the company all, which is two hundred stations. Think about how many employees are at each 
stayed, and everyone got this message about him calling in sick. Next thing you know, people start responding with prayers for Nick. You know, they're joking around, <laughs> ribbing him. Someone was he legitimate sick, or I, I didn't get that. A, or was he? Yeah, he had a dental procedure. Yeah, and, and you, you can't eat or drink. I think before yeah. he got home, I think he probably took one of the Vicodin. He said he felt dizzy. He wanted to stay home. Whatever. We've all done it. And, and he, sent you know, it, he sent it to the whole the universe. entire 200 stations get this. And in an office, it's oh really bad form to hit reply all often. So they just took it. They're taking pictures of a vigil for, for Nick. People don't even know him, you know. He got thousands and thousands of, oh, we're great. We're rooting for you. He just called in for a stupid tooth appointment, and people just can't resist. But it's the media people. You know, you can yeah. see that happening in yeah. a radio. And he's station. like a, a main – where is he? Is it, He's like a main anchor, like a news anchor. He's like a serious guy, right? Yeah, he's like, he's like, a, like a serious news anchor. Serious right? news guy. But I thought yeah. that story, that's classic media. I loved it. Do you know the name Zach Levine? Do I know the name Zach Levine? Yeah. My daughter plays for Team Levine. Oh, she does? Yes, sir. Well, Team Levine's founder, if that's what he is, yeah. namesake, made the news this last week. He uh, he got benched on a Friday night. His his I don't even know. He plays for the Bulls now? Yeah. He used to play for uh, Minnesota? No, he didn't play for Minnesota. Who do he I, used to play for? I think for? it's still the Bulls. When he was the slam dunk right. champion. I don't think he was he the Bulls? I don't know. I'm not sure. Anyway, he plays for the Bulls now, I believe. And he was benched on Friday night for what they call egregious defensive errors. Okay. The coach said he's being benched for egregious <laughs> defensive errors. You know what he did on Saturday? No. 13 threes, 49 points, and the three-pointer to win the game at the buzzer. There you go. That's all he did. Bench me again. See what happens. <laughs> I think he went to Bothell. Did he go to Bothell? Is he a Bothell guy? I, th he's a, I think Bothell sounds right. Yeah. Zach Levine went to UCLA. Was supposed to go to UCLA. Never went. Did he go? I don't he know. Go, yeah. He's a great guy, though. He sponsors a lot of kids, and yeah. he's he's a good dude. So anyway, no takers on Colin Kaepernick. I don't know if you've been. <laughs> oh, there's a shock. <laughs> Is it though? I mean, really, not one team no. was interested. No, I would have bet a lot of money on that. Okay, so are we done talking? No, I know I just brought it up again, but are we no. done? No. Why? He doesn't play in the NFL he anymore. Does, and that's the reason why we're not done talking about it. Okay. Because people are still convinced that he's not playing in the NFL, not because of anything that's fair. Even though there's other people that'll say he's just not a very good quarterback anymore. And some people say that his workout wasn't very good either. Hmm. That workout that he had in Atlanta, that was kind of the, the sham. But uh, yeah, no, we're not done talking. No, he's not. We're never going to be done talking about Colin Kaepernick. Dig so, in, set in, he'll be, he'll settle be, in. We're going to be talking for a long time. Forty-five years old. He's still not in the league. I don't know. I think uh, at the end of the first half in a Wisconsin football game, Wisconsin was at the forty-four yard line. Okay, and there was two seconds to go in the half, and the Wisconsin coach said, "What the hell? We're going for a sixty-two yard field goal." Sure, and the guy kicked it through. Is that right? He made a 62-yard field goal, and I thought to myself, self, that's got to be one of, if not yeah. the longest field goals I've ever heard of in college. Now, well, there's pro But even the NFL is like 64, right? No, it's more than that oh, now. Oh, is it? I think, I think the guy in – I think, Was it I think there's been some Denver, some, some light oh, air, altitude, altitude stuff. Gotcha. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I also think the guy in Baltimore, what's it, Tucker, has done, has done okay. it. But anyway, when I heard 62 yeah. yards, I thought, okay, that's got to be – if that's not the longest field goal in college history, it's got to be real close. Turns out, and I don't even know why I'm bringing this up, it's not even in the vicinity. Is that right? Some guy kicked a 69-yard field goal in college Holy football. Crap. Now, I don't know if they used a tee back then. I think there was a time where they used on on kicks well, on year field was goals. This one? I mean, you would know. 1976, Abilene Christian, Ove Johansson, <laughs> kicked a 69-yard field goal. 
Now, here's what I say. If there was, I think there was a time where they kicked it off, where they actually placed a tee, like a little box down there in college, and they snapped it, and the holder put it on a little tee, and then they kicked it. Well, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, like a I little think thing. They still do that. No, 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 no. Maybe not in the NFL. No, no. Well, I know no. high school does. Well, that's high school. They don't do. Yeah, they haven't yeah. done it in college in a long time. Okay, yeah. They, it's but it's at not one point, a tea. so I think. So what, what? What do we say if if Ove Johansson, God, God love him. Let's get him on the podcast. If he kicked a sixty-nine yarder and the placement was on a little tee, does an asterisk go next nah, to that? Nah, I don't think so. Is sixty-two yards better off the ground than sixty-nine yards is off a tee? How do we? What's the trans, tan, translation? Yeah. How do we do that? Well, there's a friend of the show who's a kicker expert. Was Hollis? Oh yeah, Mike Hollis. He'll probably give again. you an answer. Anyway, what about Uvon Shaman? I know. I wish he was oh teammates with that guy. Don't, don't, tell don't me. Don't bring me back to that. <laughs> tell me his name again. That guy, kicker. Uve von Shaman. No, no, don't the, bring the guy me. who made the. Oh, the, the guy who made it. Yeah. Ove Johansson. And Uve, they should have been teammates. Oh right? my God! Don't please. That's a very nasty word in this house. Oh, was that a like Charger? Yes. Oh, sorry. Gotcha. Yes. Do you know who the leading? Forty-one thirty-eight. The leading rusher in the history of the NFL is. You could probably get that right. There's a reason yeah, I'm well, asking. Oh, Emmett Smith, isn't okay, it? Who's number two? The second leading running back in yeah. terms of yards. And we weirdly is it like to, Ladanian Tomlinson? We no. We, we talked about him on this podcast weirdly just now about not getting the ball in the Super Bowl. Oh, Walter Payton. Yeah, of course it is. It's Walter. Do you know Payton. who number three is? It he. Uh, oh, would you stop with this? Well, he You're broke, making me look bad. He pushed Barry Sanders aside, and for some reason it's not sitting right with me, and I don't know why. On Sunday he pushed. The great Barry Sanders aside. To become the third all-time yeah. leading rusher in the history of the NFL. You can't take it away from him. He's a good running back. but Frank Gore. There you go. Frank, Frank Gore. Does he feel like the third, in quotes, best running back of all time? You know, Frank Gore is a tough, tough son of a bitch. I remember being in fantasy football leagues with you 12 yeah. years ago when I'm drafting yeah. Frank I think Gore. I think your problem Frank with Gore. him is just been around for so long. Right. But, but don't you give him credit? I mean, when most oh. running backs wear down and That's leave right. football, he's still He's still playing. Yeah, I could. He doesn't. He the the name doesn't fit with all the other names, but he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I, I mean, he's the third to. leading right. rusher in all. The, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. It just sort of sits weird with yeah, me. Yeah, it's a little it's ooh. Like Emmett Smith, yeah. Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Frank Gore. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of flopping in the N NBA and in college basketball? You know, there's new rules. College well, basketball, you can get technical. Got called you get on a husky. In, you can get thrown. Yeah, Jaden uh, McDaniel. Jaden McDaniel's is, is a is an all time flopper. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he's a he's a he's an all time fly. On your second one, I think you get a technical foul. Uh, Patrick Beverly of my L.A. Clippers picked up a five thousand dollar fine for flopping. Whoa, they're taking it serious. Yeah, five thousand dollar fine for flopping. First fine for flopping in like three or four years in the NBA. I I wish soccer would do that. Maybe I'd like it a little more if soccer would adapt the same rules, right? Wait, did it, was flopping a thing when I was a kid in the NBA, or is that? Yeah. A, well, I don't know when you were a kid in the. Well, you know, like in the eighties, nineties. Yeah. Was it a thing? Yeah. Well, I feel like it's way more prevalent now, or like in the past. Vlade Divac. Ah, uh, the European yeah, invasion. You know, the, yeah, Manu Ginobili. Uh, these guys that. Yeah, the Europeans did the whole. I think. It, I think it comes from soccer. I think the whole thing comes from. I think soccer ruined flopping in the NBA. They sullied our game. They did. Ugh. They did. All right. Now I, I don't even know why I'm bringing this up because. Steve Dion is going to love this, and he's going to have to get the audio. You, you might disagree because you're a little classier than I am. LeBron James and Dwayne Wade were having dinner at some, I don't know, it was the, they were playing the Thunder, I think. I don't know who it was. 
LeBron James is walking out of the restaurant, and there's a couple of fans going, we love you, we love you, can we get an autograph? Yeah. And he, he shunned him. That's fine. I'm sure he gets asked that every day. No autographs. He walks over to the SUV with his friends, lifts his leg, and just rips one. And you could hear it on the video all the way through the parking lot. It was the <laughs> loudest thing you've ever he just like, but there's fans around. He just didn't care. Lifted Since his leg. Since when does LeBron James care about anything? Yeah, clearly he doesn't care. Now was this was this uh, gassy moment? Was this before or after he complained about the concert outside of his hotel room during his nap? Did you see that? Oh, tell me this. Oh yeah, he, they had back to back nights. The, the Lakers had back-to-back nights, and I think it was in Memphis. The Memphis was the second game of the back-to-back. They flew in late, and I guess he traditionally takes a nap before games. That's his thing. He goes back to the hotel after shoot-arounds, and like for an hour before the game, he takes a nap. And there was a concert or some sort of a festival outside of his hotel in Memphis near the arena, and you know, like in the courtyard, and they yeah. were playing jazzy music or whatever, and he was keeping him up the whole time, and he tweeted about it. I can't believe these people. Uh, I just want to take a nap. He was complaining about the that. audacity to have a public performance of music <laughs> in, in Tennessee. I mean, God damn. So the Washington Redskins were a play away from getting their second win of the season. I don't know if you saw this or not, but so they were one kneel down short of knocking off the Lions 1916, and their starting quarterback was nowhere to be found. I don't know if you saw that on Sunday. No. Uh, yeah, with two seconds left in the fourth quarter, uh, he was overtaking a selfie with a fan. Who's who's this is the this is the Redskins? Yes, Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, oh, I saw that. I actually saw him taking the selfie. I had right. it on the TV. Okay. One of the TVs. Yeah, the game wasn't quite yeah. over yet. They no, needed yeah. him for one more play. No, no. So the coach had to call up the backup Case Keenum to go take the final kneel. But I love what the coach said after the game. He said, uh, "No, I don't laugh at it. It's Bill Callahan. Yeah, seems like kind of a yeah. You know, you know what I'm messing. Um, I'm happy we won. We'll address that. I'm just pleased we won the game. I just have to find out what happened." So I, don't, I think he's going to get a little talking to from Bill Callahan. Now, you know, the Lions set uh, – I don't know if they set a record, but they did something that's very, very unusual in that game. The Lions did. The Lions record through 12 games – now, uh, they, they played 11 is what, like 3-7-1, and one, something like that? You realize that the Lions have led in every game this year. Interesting. And they're the only team or one of the only teams in the history of the NFL that have led in 11 games straight – but only won three or less of the t- of the games that they let in. I don't know if that's, that's just a little bit of a little bit of minutia, a little bit of NFL minutia. If that's torture for a fan, or if that gives you hope, I don't know which way to look at that. I was going to end after that, but I guess because you talked about Dwayne Haskins, who went to where? I'm guessing Syracuse. No, Dwayne oh. Haskins. I don't know. Ohio State. Oh right, yeah, he's yeah, an yeah. Ohio State yeah. Buckeye. Because you mentioned there, I won't I won't end there. I'll end with my 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 tidbit. Chase Young. You've you've heard Chase Young, the guy that was suspended. Yep for taking some money from somebody to fly his uh, girlfriend to the Washington-Ohio State game a couple of years ago, suspended for two games. He's the defender. He's the linebacker, edge rusher for Ohio yeah. State. I thought it was Trey. Is it- no, Chase Young. Oh, it's Chase Young. Okay. He went to DeMatha High School in, Ma- in Hyattsville, Maryland. Anyway, okay. Chase Young, after being suspended for two games, came back in the game against Penn State this weekend and had five tackles for losses, three sacks. He had three sacks. How many... So how many games they've played? They've played like 10 games, so he's played Nadem. How many how many sacks do you think Chase Young has in like the eight games or seven games that he's played in? Uh, if he had three, I'm going to go 20, 22. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite 20. He's got 16 yeah. and a half sacks. Crazy. And I want him on the Seahawks. 
Or the Dolphins. But I, I want him on the Dolphins. Okay, Dolphins, maybe. You said he's going to go number one overall. He's either right? going to go number one or number two. And I guess they're not going to be. I guess the Bengals are. I, I, the Dolphins have screwed up everything by winning a couple games here and there. So I don't know that they're even <laughs> going to be around they? for Chase Young. <laughs> anyway. But I, I do like the guy coming back. That shows you he did the right thing, right? He was contrite about it. And he comes back, and then he has the success. I love it. Good for him. 16 and a half sacks. Oh, beast. He had nine tackles, five for losses, three sacks, and he missed two games. There you go. It's impressive. All right, what are we going to do about Thanksgiving Day? I'm going to eat a lot and probably do what LeBron did in that parking lot a few times. We will do a patron show because we have to update people on Mr. Postseason, and we have to do a tail of the tape for the the Vikings-Seahawks Monday night game. Such a huge game. We've got to do the tail of the tape. So I'm going to recommend that you and I record something on Wednesday night. We won't won't do any guests. We won't do the typical show. We'll just shoot the you-know-what. We'll do Mr. Postseason, and we'll do Tale of the Tape. We'll just do a kind of a, an informal patron show for Thanksgiving and for Friday yeah. for whenever anybody wants to listen. There's to a it. good chance I might be working from home on Wednesday, so I might be able to come over a little early, too. Okay, so just keep nice. that in mind. That would be nice. Then we can start our Thanksgiving I'll holiday. I'll talk to Mr. Postseason to see if he's, Check his if schedule. he's available. Yeah, yeah. Available, available. All right, I need, a, I need to – I'm a guessing you're not going to ever heard the name no. Bob Kuchenberg. No. It sounds like a sleazy adult film 1972 producer. Miami okay, Dolphins offensive lineman, Hall of Famer, Bob yeah. Kuchenberg, war number 67. I like it. And he's, if, if we weren't going to do Bob Kuchenberg, there was a guy named Reggie McKenzie who also oh, played for the Seahawks the in his later years. Yeah, the electric machine. He blocked for O.J. Simpson. Simpson. That's right, yeah. He blocked for O.J. Simpson. And killed he was 67. Nobody. Killed nobody. Yeah. We could have gone Reggie McKenzie, but we're not. We're going Bob Kuchenberg. It's right. episode Cooch. Let's right. go. I like it. Episode 60. Everybody, happy Thanksgiving. Well, if, we'll talk to them again. Yeah, well, no, but they no, may no. not hear it before Thanksgiving. The next one they may not hear before oh, yeah. Thanksgiving. They may listen to it after Thanksgiving. Right. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for being a part of the Mitch Unfiltered audience. If you want to be with us on Monday night, as I said at the beginning, we've got like six cancellations. We might have six spots left for the Monday night viewing party between the Vikings and the Seahawks. Just send me an email at Mitch and Mitch Unfiltered. Okay? Let's do it. I'll be there. Episode 67 is now in the books.